this tumble crew has a plan And they begin by digging into those Two scoops In every Kellogg's pack Two scoops Or keep them coming back For two, two scoops of plump juicy raisins In Kellogg's Raisin Bran Hooked up and in command They're working now But they're thinking how they love Two scoops And golden flakes of bran Two scoops They're turning back again For two scoops of plump juicy raisins In Kellogg's Raisin Bran Welcome to the long overdue 8th episode proper of the Two Scoops podcast, our 13th episode overall. And rumors of her death, greatly exaggerated. This is the podcast of not just 250% effort, but 250% apology to all of you who've enjoyed the podcast and felt abandoned by our absence. We're back and ready to be a part of your balanced breakfast. My name is Jordan Breen, and in this episode, I'm going to get cathartic with uh, the breezy nature of breakfast television. I'm going to plot to kill my ex-landlords, really. Along with me, recently re- recently relocated New York treat. It's Big Bad Beefcake, future accomplice in my homicidal plan. It's David Bixen's band. What's up? How are your new digs in the fine New York City? I'm good. I'm doing well here, although I was a little surprised that you didn't say rumors of our death have been have greatly... God damn it. Rumors of our death have been greatly exaggerated by Brandon from New Jersey. You've you've blasphemed only only a minute and a half in or whatever. You're a godless heathen, David Bixen fan. No, this I is, didn't. This is why this is this is why I joke of your uh, tentacles, Lovecraftian, Lovecraftian tentacled ways. Well, what can you do? So. Uh, there's, there's only like one good way to, uh, sum up my inspiration for the hot and heavy hitting return episode of the two scoops podcast. And that's that my, my new landlord, Mr. Way, Mr. Way, shout outs. You're dope. I like that you appear to be an absentee landlord. Not that way. No, not that way. Way, way taking the fight network wishes he was my landlord. (laughs) Completely different Mr. Way and different spelling. Uh, this guy also, my landlord, uh, I met him I met him once properly, and he uh, – he's never going to hear this, so this isn't really a problem. He like appeared like he may have been high on, on cocaine or methamphetamine. He may have just been a frantic – kind of spastic man who liked gesticulating a lot and spoke in a mile a minute. Obviously, English, not his first language. So I'm not I'm not saying that there was uh, drug use going on, but if someone told me, like, do you know your landlord's actually be like, oh, that is not, that is not a surprise to me, having met him all of once of 15 minutes. So uh, I, I don't wish to kill him. My new abode is fantastic. However, if you're wondering why our podcast has been conspicuous by its absence, it's because my entire living situation has been incredibly insane for basically the last, not this month, but uh, the prior two months. So basically, long story short, Reader's Digest version of all this, uh, the apartment I lived in for the last three years here in the six, the big smoke out here in Toronto, uh, I was fortunate to have the basement and first floor of a converted Victorian house, and the couple who owned it had the second and third floor. They were pregnant with their first child. Uh, 
is actually a terrible situation. Uh, she actually ended up miscarrying. I feel, I feel there's no way anyone's going to like identify them by this. So whatever. Uh, so it was, it was a terrible situation all around, but nonetheless, with them contingent on wanting to build a family and DIY up the rest of the house, they wanted to stop writing it, which I totally get. So they gave me like tons of heads up. The problem was when all of that came together, it was September, October. And Toronto is a huge post-secondary city, especially in the downtown area. You get tons of student rentals. You get tons of people signing leases in August, September. So it was incredibly hard to find any kind of one-bedroom thing. And I'm not exactly like a, a condo-living person. Uh, r- riding the elevator up and down to like get food delivered or smoke a cigarette or do whatever. It's, it's a terrible, miserable existence, and I really don't want any part of it. So I figured I would, I would take a, uh, a room at an apartment with some friends of mine. That'd be an easy way. It'd be chill, get to hang out with some friends and uh, have an extra couple months to and, – and at a cheap rate too, like a, a fantastic location in Kensington Market in the heart of downtown Toronto. And I'd get to hang out and look for a better one bedroom for the next few months and maybe explore my options in a way that I wouldn't get to in September, October. This turned into a catastrophic nightmare when essentially I was told by two of my friends that their apartment would be like a dope fit. I'd lived with one of these people before. And what they kind of didn't specify was the two people I moved in with were never really in the apartment. And there's a good reason for that. The landlords of this particular unit and the unit above me live directly downstairs. They were an old Chinese couple who had bought this place probably, I I believe I was told by one of my roommates, uh, in the late 70s. They've owned this thing for like, like 50 years now, basically. I guess that's a that's a stretch. 40, 40 plus years now. And they live downstairs and were the most torturous human beings I've ever come in contact with. Uh I'm I'm 29 years old. I've never had a landlord beef in my entire life until this. This was the craziest thing I was ever a part of. And it it felt like a fever dream, Bix. Would you like to give some examples? I know I know you did on Sure Dog, and I know we have some <laughs> overlap overlap okay, with the KBS so, listeners. Okay. But so so I'll I'll save some of this because we we do have a lovely film project today on on two scoops. I found I think the most appropriate piece of Western art possible to uh, pay due tribute to how much I just want to kill these two human beings. One more than the other. But just to, just get the ball rolling. My friend, my friend, uh, we'll call him Justin because his name is Justin. Uh, I love Justin a whole lot, but he was like, no, it's all good. Come meet my landlords, see the apartment, and you can drop off first and last months. 
I was only like playing on Steam like two, probably like three months. I ended up getting out in two, and this was thrust upon me really without my knowledge. I like had like two weeks to move out, which was an ex- insane anxiety raising experience. Nonetheless, I show up to this place. As I walk in, he tells me that our other roommate, our our friend Allie, like, oh, they kind of hate Allie. Allie has lived there. She's lived there for like four years already. They've already tortured her in a variety of psychological ways. And for whatever reason, they hate her, even though she's her like longest running tenant. We we show up to the place. I made the mistake of smoking a cigarette first. That was a huge mistake. Like like rookie mistake in the big city. Never do it just before. You never know. I didn't expect I didn't expect this oncoming barrage though. I walk into the front door. I expect to see the apartment first. This five foot tall, sixty something year old Chinese lady pops out of a door. Like when I walk in. There's a, a, a staircase to my right and a door to my left. The door to my left immediately springs open in this tiny, wizened, retirement-aged Chinese lady pops out and immediately starts accosting my friend. It's immediately clear to me that my friend is lied to me. They do not love him in any capacity. They don't love anything. Especially the wife. So it's it's a husband-wife duo. The the husband, Tom, seems like a fine dude. The wife, Bick, may be one of the most reprehensible, terrible, sociopathic people I've ever met in my entire life. Now, how is Bick spelled? Uh, B-I-K. I assume it's short for something. I don't, I don't really give a fuck what it is, to be honest. I just hope something awful happens to her and with an immediate fashion. And it doesn't involve me in any way. Or this podcast. So, uh, what does that uh, mean? <laughs> just that we can't we can't be implicated in any way because I'm going to say terrible things about them for the duration of this uh, this broadcast. I have never been to Toronto. I've never been to Ontario. Exactly. Put all these caveats and disclaimers in right I will, now. I will never go to Ontario anytime soon. Perfect. So the first thing this woman says is, "Oh, you have a beard." They very much do. It is very large. It's longer than the hair on my head by several times over. She goes, I hate beard. Oh, boy. And I just went, oh, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. She goes, you, you smoke? And I was like, oh, yeah, I smoke. And she goes, oh, I, you, you stink. And <laughs> my friend Justin goes, oh, well, like, I smoke. And the dude, he goes, Kurt, the dude I was replacing, he smoked. And she just like shakes her head and looks super angry. And then her husband, Tom, sweeter, slightly more sensitive soul, he waddles out in uh, what I, I don't want to get called raises, but I, what I would describe as a de facto garb for Chinese immigrants who are either uh, – Landlords or run convenience stores. He has on uh, he's on flat front khakis. He has on a flannel shirt, and he has on a bubble vest and a toque. Always wearing a toque inside 
or a knitted, a knitted cap, as Americans may call it. Well, he's a he's a Canadian immigrant. So. Exactly, but it's it's dude. When it holds in L.A., dude. If you go to a Korean liquor store in Los Angeles, there's a dude wearing a flannel shirt, khakis, and a bubble vest. Okay, on a side note, it's unbelievable. I have a question. I have no idea why that's an aesthetic aesthetic choice, and if you have an explanation, I don't have an explanation. I have a question though. Do tell. Okay, so do, do ask. You know how when you go buy a Korean nail salon. There's always a guy standing outside dressed almost like a waiter. <laughs> okay, not always, but I do know what you're talking about, yeah. Like the overseer guy? What does he do? <laughs> uh, I don't I that's a good question. I don't know. I've never I've never been inside a Korean nail salon that had the dude outside, but it, the only like I've seen it in New York. Like that's the only reason I know what you're talking about. So I mean, am I, I don't know. It's just like the, ba- the the bouncer. Like, is there is is there big city Big Apple problems at the nail salon? Okay, well, I'm thinking of a few things here. All okay. of them involve sexual slavery in some form. All right. So, what are your what are your sexual slavery ideas? Since we're we're still hot in the intro here, but so, yes, he is the, he is the is good is thing. My assumption. Let's. All right. So ex- explain more. Although, alternatively. Maybe this is just from one of those nail salons that mysteriously offer massages. But I don't recall seeing that phenomenon until the last several years. Whereas I remember seeing the guy standing outside long before that. Interest. So, so that's maybe that it's to keep people from expecting the wrong kind of massage in that case. Yeah, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's like a double bluff kind of thing. People come in expecting the wrong thing, as opposed to like you think it's a shady, uh, a shady establishment off the back because they have a uh, a major d of a muscular sort of front. I don't remember any of them being muscular. I just remember them being just kind of skinny, chain smoking guys. Oh well, creepy enough. As long as as long as they can wield a stiletto. So uh, Tom, the husband of the uh, Chinese landlord duo, while though. And the first thing this dude says to me is, you look like Fidel Castro. We're not off to a rip-roaring start. Uh, I end up moving into this place because I happen to have uh, two months in cash. And after moving in, I realized there's – again, specifically the wife – we're just the most heinous landlords in the history of time. Anything that you would consider like a basic human kind of thing. The ability to, to, to food delivered to you. I go down the stairs. It doesn't matter if it's noon hour, 4 p.m., 9 p.m., midnight. I walk down the stairs so I can open the door. And grab some delivery food. Fix there. And more than well, one or occasion, as you maybe should say to avoid confusion, Bic is there. Bic is there. Yeah, you just appear. Bix was there. No. Uh I thought I said I was I've never been in Ontario. <laughs> correct. Um on one occasion I ordered uh she asked she asked why my bag was so big. Not that bag. Uh 
she asked why my bag was so big, and I said there was two sandwiches, and uh, she called me fat. Just Sham called me fucking fat to my fucking face. I was standing on the stairs. It was like 65-year-old Chinese. like, oh, you got two? You fat. Punch this lady in her head. Um, Never even mind the possibility that maybe you were getting one to have as a leftover. Well, also or here's for a other, roommate or another person or a date. Oh, here's here's the other thing. You're suggesting a totally rational possibility. Not allowed. Not allowed to have guests over. This is complicated by the fact that um, uh, I like to have sex in my apartment. So uh, sneaking women in and out was horrible. You know what? You know what it's like to try to like have like an oral conversation with someone. Uh, maybe after you've had sex with them and then go. Okay, when you go down the stairs, go as fast as you can. And then when you – this is the other thing. When you when you leave the apartment, <laughs> the way that their apartment on the first floor wrapped around the stairs, their living room wrapped around to the other side and faced out on the deck, meaning when you left, they could stare at you. And when I say they, I mean, again, the wife, Bick. She could just stare at you through the living room window. So even after you hit the door, you weren't safe. You had to basically – you had to run down the stairs of this tall Victorian house in Kensington Market and then like hard 90-degree turn, hard left, hard left, and you got to run down the sidewalk. And you got to do it fast. She's going to get there to the couch and kneel on it and peel back the drapes and see. This, was, this is the shit I lived with for two months. They hated me. They they thought I was a terrible person. They and here's the big problem. A lot of people listening to this would be like, well, why didn't why didn't you contact the I was told and believed my friends when I moved in because I didn't plan on being there a long time. I was told when I moved in, like, oh, a lot of people who take the bedroom, like the extra bedroom here, you know, it's kind of like a month the month thing. It was not like that. And it's weird because if I had signed the lease, I would have had uh, I would have had some tenants' rights, but it also I would have had to stay there for a, an unfathomable amount of time that would have broke my spirit as a human being and led to a homicidal massacre, which I will plan out strictly for fantasy purposes over the course of this podcast. I was I was happy I got forced out of there prematurely, but holy shit. It literally got to a point where what I could do – a big part of my life is podcasting and creating radio content. And it got to a point where I was unable to do that largely because I couldn't speak out loud in my own apartment without this lunatic bitch slamming a broom into my floor. <laughs> I couldn't unpack half of my things. I couldn't construct like a desk or any kind of like working setup in my apartment because uh, apparently I was told – I have no idea if this is even true. But I was told by uh, by Tom that – this was another huge thing. I basically couldn't walk around after like 11 fucking p.m. I cover mixed martial arts and boxing and shit for a living. Late night fight action. Okay, let me ask a question. Let me ask considerable a time differences. What's up? I have to interrupt. Are you the type of person who wears shoes inside the house? 
I, oh, here's the thing. I would love to wa- wear shoes inside the house. Um, I got to a point with these assholes where my anxiety level is so high, I began taking my shoes off. I wear boots everywhere, every day, in the summer. I wear Doc Martens in the summer. Come up and get me. Come make fun of me. I wear them with shorts. Shorts? <laughs> I at least have proper cutoffs that were once jeans. And they're not, they're not jorts. Nonetheless, I wear boots everywhere. So I got to a point where I literally started taking my boots off on the deck outside on the welcome mat. Like there's snow on it and shit. I'm standing on it, my sock feet. Just so they can't, uh, just for a, a slightly greater percentage of a chance that they won't hear me going up the stairs. And that's the thing about the stairs. You can't run up them fast. Because they'll hear you. So boom, 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 boom. So you got to go slow, but you can't go too slow because if you creak too much. Then they'll still hear you. Bickle will appear at the bottom of the stairs and she'll float up like a ghoul. I don't know. I don't know. She like enters through like your ear canal or like sinus cavity or something. Just like take over your brain or some shit. <laughs> so I'm not willing to have any of this happen. So I got to take, I take my boots off and I'm like, my, like, I, I get in the apartment every day. My feet are fucking soaked. I'm like taking my shoes off outside like an animal. Wait, why are you, are you taking them off on the welcome mat? On the welcome mat. Oh, like, there's no inside. I get what door. you're saying. There's no inside mat. Okay. There's an inside. No, there's an inside mat. But, dude, you can't use the inside mat because it's right in front of their door. It's too much time. If I take my boots off when I get inside the door, that's another – like, if she just – dude, she's just going to open the door. It's it's too – dude, it's too – that's five seconds I have to spend in the foyer area. That's – too, that's too long. That's twice as long. I got to get up those stairs. These are the kind of like anxious, psychological, neur- like neurotic conditions I started living under for two months. Most people go in there. I was like, oh, like take off my shoes. Like maybe I'll untie them. I'm like, no, I got to take my shoes off inside. They're going to be in my hands. I got like a real specific way. I got to like run up the stairs and like skip certain stairs I got, I'm like counting stairs, so because like, I know like the twelfth oh, one. Wait, 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 wait. We're talking about a downstairs mat. Oh, yeah, like, like you, yeah, like okay. you walk in. Was, you okay. walk in. There's like a vestibule area. Their door is directly there, and then the stair up, to, like the stairs up to my apartment. Oh, so you were thing. you were taking your boots off and then going up the stairs in your socks? Yes, absolutely. I was I was entering the actual like like the outside door. Like I'm standing outside on a welcome mat. Taking my shoes off, putting my key in the door, opening it, holding my shoes, and then running up the stairs as fast as possible to avoid this five-foot-tall retirement-age ghoul. Now, the way this is structured, is she is she able to get to she can inside the everywhere. house? She can, come, she can come through the floorboards as far as I'm fucking concerned. No, you understand what I'm asking. Is it would she have to leave her house, go outside, and then come inside through yours to go to to get to you, or are there inside doors to everywhere? No, there's inside doors to everywhere. Okay. Yeah, like she like and and that's that, that'll I'll, I'll save I'll save some stories for later. 
she never like fully burst in on me, so to speak. But apparently, it, uh, it was told to me and relayed to me after that it's just like nothing for her to like like roll up into the apartment. The other thing that's crazy is there's a dude with the third unit that was above the one I lived in who was loud as hell all the damn time. But they're, they're, he's not directly above Dick. Exactly. So, like, they can't hear him and don't give a shit. But, like, he would, like, get these, lo- like, loud screaming arguments with his girlfriend on Skype all the time. Like... He just got completely absolved. It was all my fault. Anyway, they hated me brutally and forced me out after two months. So, uh, but while I was there, literally my entire life, it was it was an anxious stress fest to even do the bare minimum of like live radio and podcasting, and to, to even really stay in my apartment for any length of time, knowing that I couldn't speak out loud or like take out the garbage. Or, or do, like, any normal human things with all these people spying on me and being incredible creeps. Uh, and and in light of that, David Bixon spam, for the triumphant return of T-Scoops, I've selected 1990 classic Pacific Heights, the ultimate yuppie horror terror film. A film where Michael Keaton moves into a house is a very naughty, naughty tenant. Basically, I searched high and low for any kind of movie, documentary, great story about uh, tenant, landlord, stress and revenge. Yeah, and this this is the best I could do. This is this is what I was able to uh, drum up. But before I do the uh, hard sell for our most beautiful piece of media and our big triumphant return. Uh, shall we tell the people not just that we're back and give them that great confirmation, but tell them how they can give us more money, more money or just money. Just, well, I mean, any money shouts to all the people who, uh, stuck with us through, uh, through hard times, the, uh, five to six weeks of me dealing with these lunatic assholes and now, uh, moving to a more stable and secure place. Even dude, even shit as simple as I couldn't record anything at that place. As great as the location was, this is a place that hadn't been retrofitted or updated in any way in probably 60 to 70 years. Oh, yeah. So we should talk about this too. Yeah, your your internet connection was got off. I literally – well, also, I literally couldn't do a thing radio-wise for any purpose unless I was plugged directly into the router. I'd like sit on the floor up against the wall. Like, it was just in the living room. Is it was a horrific living, and on top of that, as I did it, I had a crazy lady banging a broom against me as I sat on the floor. Before I forget, I do have one question before we move on to the plugs, etc. Yes, the housekeeping. Uh, was there any Wednesday where Bick thought that Lindsay K. Floyd was a girl inside your apartment? Holy shit, no, that's incredible though. Um, but, uh, there were multiple times where, uh, when I ordered food again, like with her calling me a fat ass repeatedly, um, she'd like see me bring food upstairs and she's like, you have a friend upstairs? You have a friend upstairs? They made it, she made it very clear on multiple occasions. I was not to fuck ever. That was not allowed. 
They're very, they're very displeased. There's, there's one, there's one roommate that I had who um, d- did it a lot and somehow got up the stairs without them. Um, maybe I am just that fat, or maybe I just like bang on the stairs really hard. I just have a, I have a heavy footprint. But uh, I, I was unfairly singled out. So I guess we'll save more stories for later. But yes, how can you support? two scoops which which one should i start with at two scoops pod on twitter oh i thought you meant monetarily well i mean every every little bit helps yes at two scoops pod on twitter i'm at david bix on twitter that's d-a-v-i-d-b-i-x not any other spelling that may have to do with any small chinese women (laughs) jordan is at jordan breen two scoops pod at gmail.com People wanted to email us with hot business propositions. Yes. Uh, Amazon referral link. If you want to do that, nothing extra comes out of your pocket. But when you shop at Amazon, you can go to tinyurl.com slash T-W-O scoops Amazon. I believe number two scoops Amazon works as well. So tinyurl.com slash two scoops Amazon. You add the stuff to your cart. Check out. We get a little kickback from Amazon. You don't pay anything extra. But Amazon gives us some money as a thank you for directing you to them. Keep Amazon in mind for a second. We got some. We got. I got some. I got some hot Amazon suggestions momentarily. Also, hearts go out to everyone over at uh, Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Two Scoops, who uh, stuck with us through a month and a half. And it was literally everyone, I think. Yeah, all. All of you are bad people. It's not because like half of you are dedicated uh, either listeners to Bix's myriad pro wrestling podcasts, dedicated Sherdog Radio Network listeners, or just like personal friends of mine. That is definitely not why you guys stuck with us and continued to give us your money. But uh, we're back. Well, the Sherdog Radio listeners and your personal friends knew what was happening. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I guess I, I guess that's, that, that part's true as well. But, I mean, it still says something to your, your pro wrestling contingent as well. Sure. Sure. Even, so you'll, people, you'll even people who joined after the last show. Yes. You, all, you'll, you will all be rewarded. Uh, real quick, before I get to some Amazon suggestions, uh, do, we, do we have anyone that for whatever weird reason, like any like super uh, recent Patreon ads who, who like joined since uh, we last made fun of McDonald's land? We do have some fairly recent ones, and then we'll also talk a little bit more about Patreon. So let me pull that. Yeah, let's shut them out. All right, we've got – so what date should we go back to? What was our actual last show? Let's see. Uh, So I guess early December, so let's see. Yeah, like I feel I feel like the first week of December, basically. First week, second week. All right, so, so we've got a few early. people. We've got uh, Stephen Halsey. Shout out. Kaiser. Shouts to the big homie Stephen Halsey and uh, T.D. Kaiser. Yeah, all oh, right. I forgot. I'm supposed to let you call them the homie now. Yeah, I'm trying to keep. I'm trying to keep the gimmick up. Yeah, uh, and Sam O'Connor, the homie Sam O'Connor. Thank you to all you delicious bad homies out there who've uh, decided to pledge a little cash and finally now get something out of it. Uh, even though you're listening to the regular show now, uh, Patreon exclusives coming soon. And uh, as usual. Bix, Bix wants to listen to things that involve uh, people being molested. I do. Don't you always? We, uh, you, you subjected me to uh, the Barney Miller horror. We had a we had a private 
two scoops meeting of the minds last night. You suggested something else that involves uh, eh, something I would classify a little on the rapey side. What? I don't even remember what I suggested. Uh, may may involve one um, aged Heineken pitchman. I really don't remember this for some reason. It may it may involve a man whose name may be Harris Patrick Neal. Oh, did I suggest that specific episode? I thought we were. Just it may have been you about talking about the episode of Doogie Hauser where he thinks he may be an OBGYN. Oh, the one where he gives Wanda a pelvic to diagnose her appendicitis? It may be that. That may be it. But in the meantime, the shows that are up for Patreon patrons only are... Let's see what we've got. Uh, oh, the two parts on... Sleep Away Camp McDonald, basically. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out... Wait, was there another one that we did that was Patreon only? Because I'm looking at this and there was... I feel like I did previews for all of them, but maybe I didn't. Hold on. We've done five episodes on Patreon. Okay, so wait, there was the... Two sleepaway camps. I think there was another Halloween related that was... Was the Halloween Spectacular related on that... Related on that tip? A little Pat Robertson action? Let's see. So they, little, little Patreon. Com, yes, patreon.com slash two scoops. The episodes that are up already that you can hear would be... Oh, the Barney Miller episode was Patreon. Oh right, that was our that was our Patreon debut. Right, you wanted to talk about the episode of Barney Miller where a guy rapes his wife. <laughs> then we've got the part of the Halloween spectacular where we we watch parts of Pagan Invasion, Pat Robertson stuff, and the his reality. <laughs> that idiot in the Pagan Invasion documentary who can't pronounce pumpkins and says pumpkins repeatedly. <laughs> And also claims also claims that he was forced to kill like an eight year old girl at a pagan ritual on Halloween as a child. And also the racist violent puppet, which I don't remember if I processed this. Oh, right. I do have a I do, I do have a file isolated. Let's see. I felt the urge to to well to turn around and smack her. Push her, slap oh my her. God, I forgot anything that would make one. her stop. And the, the abusive one. Holy shit, dude, you were so high on those puppets, like, oh, this will be funny. And we started watching them, and you were just like, oh, this is terrible. Turn it off. And then, of course, we've got the magnum opus, the two parts about Sleepaway Camp, which goes on very long. <laughs> or however the best, however you best approximate that sound. Oh, the sound at the end of the movie? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the... What was the name of the McDonald land? Uh, oh, Grimace Island. Adventures <laughs> on Grimace Island. There's like, there's also, we can always go back to the McDonald land well because there's four more of those VHS tapes alone, never mind more horrific commercials. I can't see oh, them being as good as Grimace Island, though. I mean, I agree. Uh, also, we need to find a thing in future, whether Sleepaway Camp related or not. We need to, like, I feel like we could probably get Felissa Rose to do this podcast. We also need to get uh, Jill Hennessy and Richard Brooks to do this podcast. Speaking of Jill Hennessy, RIP to uh, Miguel Ferrer. I watched all three episodes of Tales from the Crypt. I watched Robocop, Stephen King's Night Flyer. Uh, I got I got some Twin Peaks downloaded. What's your What's your favorite Miguel Ferrer vehicle other than traffic? Ooh, let's see. I need to refresh my memory for a second. Is it Deep Star Six? No. Deep Star Six, heavy pro wrestling crossover. No matter what Mark 
you were in, you go back to 1989, that's summer. Mm-hmm. Underwater monster movies, very hot. You watch Saturday Night's main event. Oh, baby. You got some deep, you got some deep star six ads. Interesting. But yes, that's patreon.com slash two scoops. Uh, check everything out there. Amazon, though. Let me tell you what you can buy. Okay. Next, again, give the people the referral link real quick while I queue up uh, various uh, landlorderies here. Tinyurl.com slash two scoops Amazon. So, obviously, we're about to talk about Pacific Heights. You can buy some Pacific Heights on DVD. If you want to buy it brand new, you can get it for nineteen fifty seven. You can get it used starting from two dollars and fifty four cents. That's incredible. Also, there's VHS listings for this stuff. You can buy it for like ten, fifteen bucks. If for some reason you're a VHS archivist in twenty seventeen, is there a Blu-ray? Uh, there's no Blu-ray. To actually, let me uh, let me let me let me double check that. I may have just taken like the the easiest suggestion. Uh, let me see here. Is there a Blu-ray? There does not appear to be a Blu-ray at this point in time. Unfortunately, uh, Pacific Heights too deep of a cut. But you can get uh, you can get some standard DVD action used starting for two dollars fifty three cents. It's basically a yard sale price. Delicious. It doesn't look see like here. Clean and Sober is on Blu-ray either. As far as we're looking at the. Uh... More obscure movies in the Michael Keaton catalog. Your top your top customer reviews over on Amazon for uh, Pacific Heights. Keaton was superb in this film about an evil person hell-bent on destroying the lives of two main characters. As an actor, I generally don't care too much for Michael Keaton. That said, he was superb in this film about an evil person hell-bent on destroying the lives of two main characters played by Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith. Talk about art imitating life, the sort of thing that actually occurs in real life. And I suspect that many movies like this, while excellently acted and produced, have proved to be the catalyst for others committing real offenses similar to this. The best part of the movie, however, was how Melanie Griffith's character deals with Michael Keaton's character and bringing him down. Great film. I like how this dude who revealed this, reviewed this film, this boy, uh, John, January 13, 2015, verified purchase, five stars. I like how John thinks that uh, basically anyone has seen this film, and that if anyone has seen this film, it's led them to terrorize their landlord. I think I'm the only person that might fit that bill, and uh, I sought this out as a direct result of the landlord as opposed to vice versa. I'm not sure how to respond to that. There's only uh, the only piece of a one five or one one star review. Uh, very poor quality recording. Thanks. Oh, also, uh, there's a dude, there's a dude who gave a one star review and it starts with the movie was probably fine. And then he goes on to talk about how, because of Amazon instant download, he couldn't get it to sync up to his Apple TV and he couldn't watch it with his family. First of all, this is not the movie to watch in your family. Second of all, why are you giving the movie one star? Because you like you bought it off like an Amazon online service. You couldn't sync it up with your Apple TV. So you go on to Amazon and give the movie one star? I'm not out of bounds. Like that's, that's like that's a crazy person thing, right? Yeah, pretty much. Alright, cool. Just checking. So uh that's that's one piece of uh, the show you can have. Also, maybe you're a landlord. 
by David S. Hill. May I recommend Landlord and Tenant Law in a Nutshell, 4th Edition. The paperback starts $14.99. If you're willing to buy it used, less than $10, $9.63. Maybe you're a landlord. Maybe you're looking at being a landlord. Maybe you're a bit more highbrow than that. Looking for some classic literature. Walter Scott's Tales of My Landlord series. The Waverly Books. Kindle editions, only 75 cents. You want to buy them in paperback? Most of them are out there around $9 and you can get them on Amazon Prime. And they have like two edition bundles if you're really into the Tales of My Landlord series uh, from Sir Walter Scott. And you can get them for like $18. So whether or not you want to hear about some Victorian era landlords, whether or not you want to be a better landlord, whether or not you want to figure out how to terrorize your landlord, Two Scoops got you covered on Amazon. Vix, are you ready to see Michael Keaton be a, a devious man? I've seen Clean and Sober, so I already have, but sure. I mean, it's, this is nowhere as devious as multiplicity or anything like that. At the same time, there's not too many uh, there's not too many psychological thrillers about gentrification, or just outright, like I said, being being terrified by uh, a tenant, a landlord. It's crazy to me. I expected to find way more examples of movies, books, poems, uh, manifestos. Anything relevant to either tenants harassing landlords or landlords who – you know what I found? I found news stories, and that's why I find this mind-blowing. So uh, from from literally like days ago, we have a story in Bristol, England, where a guy who was uh, staying as a tenant started basically beating the shit out of his landlord's cat. So we have we have that. Oh, who's going to dark places now? Well, I, I'm just saying this is this is what you get when you look up like landlords and tenants and just like the recent news. This is like this is this is ultimately how it plays out. So we uh, we we also have a story coming out of uh, Maniunk, Pennsylvania, just outside uh, Philadelphia, where a landlord shot her tenant. They got in an argument. Apparently, they actually shared the residence. And uh, she shot him to death. She's uh, 28 years old. She just shot a dude to death that she was running an apartment to. Great. Over in Columbus, Ohio, Columbus police say a man murdered his landlord to avoid paying back rent. An accomplice helped him try to burn the body to hide the crime. Dope. Can can we escape from this now? No, because it goes so much deeper, dude. It's worldwide. From just just this past December, a Chinese landlord and his wife were allegedly stabbed to death by a tenant who tried to blackmail them and stole their jewelry worth 10,000 won, approximately $11,000 in Hong Kong, mainland media reports. That's a world away. Over in the South Bronx, by the way, in August... The landlord convicted of manslaughter for killing one of his tenants and dumping his body upstate on Thursday was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Great! Meanwhile, about a year ago, 
Over in the UK, landlord murdered his tenant and chopped his body up because he complained about having to do handiwork around the flat. Can, can we stop? Like, if you if you end up somehow linking this to Armin Muse or something. <laughs> well, he wasn't a landlord. <laughs> that we know of. That's true. My point being... It's shocking to me, Bix. How is there not more bare minimum, if not outright horror stories, psychological thrillers about the people who rent out properties and uh, the people who rent them from them and how they may terrorize them in return? I feel, I feel like writers it, don't want to get evicted. Yeah, that's impo- that, that's entirely possible, I suppose. But in in, a, in an era where gentrification and rent control are like huge issues on you know bicoastally, especially in the United States. How is it that the the uh, landlord-tenant relationship's not more closely examined? Maybe we just have shitty luck in the past. Maybe. All I gotta say is, I the only way forward is if we attack Matthew Modine with an axe and throw cockroaches into his apartment that he's tried to nicely renovate. What do you say, David Bix's fan? Who hasn't wanted to do that? Now check it, the topic of discussion is more than a financial profit. United Snakes won't stop it. Blow for blow, the flow of the commentary gets heavy. heavy. Six septillion tons of spinning steady. Stepping into a new phase. New phase. New courts representing our slavery days. The seats of wheat are much, much more than you figure. Yo, if he's a black man, he must be a nigga. Then make a gimmick, I went and down. down. The sucker selling, selling out. out for the sake of a scream and shout. Elements don't roll with nonsense. Rather kick a little bit of science. Science about controlling actions of another. America was built on a sweat of black sisters and brothers. Never allowed to read, but allowed to bleed and breathe. Stripped of our creed. Creed and religious environment on intuition. And what the master said, give up. Besides, the black man is the original lord of the land. So I'm clenching my right hand. Brothers and sisters, we must fight this slumlord, overlord of the concrete jungle. jungle. But I'm humble as I witness my uncles a crumble. Like the shack that I live in, the house that I went from him. Each year, Rockland sponsors a poetry festival. Tyrone Green is this year's winner. Images by Tyrone Green. Dark and lonely on the summer night. Kill my landlord. Kill my landlord. The watchdog barking. Do he bite? Kill my landlord. Kill my landlord. Slipping his window. Break his neck. Then his house I start to wreck. Got no reason. What the heck? Kill my landlord. Kill my landlord. C I L L. My landlord. As we get into some deep landlord wildness. I can also say, Bix, that there is a real-life story that does pique the interest as we uh, get into this. I suppose there is a real-life story built into Pacific Heights as well. The screenwriter Daniel Pine actually ended up writing this because he rented out a house and ended up having a terrible tenant. However, are you aware of the plight of character actor Johnny Lewis who died a few years ago? No. 
So he's in like Sons of Anarchy. Um, he played oh, a criminal. Oh wait, life. I think I do know about. Uh, he was Opie on Sons of Anarchy, right? Uh, he was he was half sack on uh, Sons of Anarchy. Then who am I thinking of? How many people from Sons of Anarchy died? Well, I mean, everyone. Well, I, I mean, in the show, everyone, everyone who was died. not a working actor before the show. Uh, he was. He also played. Uh, he also played the friend of the cool surfer dude that Marissa meets in like season three of the OC. Okay. Uh, so this dude, he had hardcore substance abuse issues, and he ended up killing his like seventy-one-year-old landlord. And her cat, eighty-one-year-old landlord, and her cat. No, no, look at it. Uh, and then in running from the cops, I guess like maybe like slipped, jumping a fence, and fell and, like just died in a driveway after hitting his head. And everyone assumed that it was some kind of a drug-induced psychosis because of his background. But all his talk screams came back negative. He literally just killed his landlord and then ran away. But it's wild because. Not only is like he's played a killer in multiple things, and his episode of Criminal Minds is actually chilling. Like the scene that he gets with Joe Mantegna when he discusses uh, why he feels the need to, to kill people, and he like and why he can't, why he can't truly fathom that regular people don't feel the need to kill stupid looking people every single day of their life and bash their face in is mind blowing. To know that like he would just turn around a few short years later. And uh, kills landlord. So we uh, we Why embark. Do you keep doing this. I'm just going to I'm just going to say the the landlord tenant relationship. It's a fraught one, Bix. Yeah, it is. Um, I have my own stories. You have your stories. Michael Heaton also has his stories. So we embark on uh, 1990s Pacific Heights, directed by John Schlesinger, the man who brought you uh, Midnight Cowboy. Among other things. So that led to a honky-tonk trend in the United States, whereas I don't think this led to a killing your landlord. This this did not lead to a gentrification-based landlord-tenant psychological thriller trend. Speaking of gentrification-based thrillers, though, have you uh, heard about this movie at Sundance? No. It's called Bushwick. And it's about, like, a dystopian near future under a president who ruins the country, wink, wink, or something like that. And it stars Dave Bautista as the guy who helps the resistance fight and keep them from taking over Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're messing with me, right? No. I didn't like, right, existed, right down so to the Dave Bautista thing? Like, yeah, no, this is real. Wow. Wow. It's a shame I didn't go to Sundance, I suppose. Shame I didn't go to Sundance, and I'm in a movie that's a Sundance. <laughs> is that uh, is that is that your documentary? It's getting uh, picked up on Netflix. Yes, yes. You want to? You, you, that's that's the last thing we should say before we get into the the Michael Keaton uh, Michael Keaton action. We should talk about another superhero, the the one and only Peter Thiel, Terry Hulk Hogan Balea, oh. and Peter Thiel. The, the 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 Hulkster and the Lizard Man. Remember when he was serious actor Terry Hulk Hogan? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I do. Remember, uh, I was I was I was trying to think of like a really like clever uh, prehistoric name for Peter Thiel's lizard form, but I couldn't think of one quick enough. 
But yes, it's uh, Dave Bautista and Brittany Snow in Bushwick. But what about David Vixen's band at Sundance? I'm in Nobody Speak, the Hogan Gawker documentary. No, nobody, nobody speak indeed, lest, uh, lest Gawker be destroyed. Yes. And uh, Variety does have a review of, uh, of Bushwick. America goes to war with itself in a violent and provocative B-movie top-lining Dave Batista. I mean, I'm sold. I mean, dude, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. How bad could he be? This sounds very interesting. And not just because it takes place where I live now. <laughs> <laughs> so you live, uh, you live a coast away, but over in a polychrome home in southern San Francisco. Are ready to get freaky with uh, Batman turned the bad tenant? You mean the guy from Clean and Sober? The, the very same. From Beetlejuice? The... the- <laughs> That's the thing that kills me about this. He's he's riding high on Beetlejuice and Batman. I know, granted, he couldn't have anticipated maybe the, the success of both of them since he filmed this back-to-back with them. This was filmed uh, January to May in 1989. But holy smokes, it's so weird to see this, of all things, sandwiched in with those films. Well, hell, what year was Clean and Sober? Clean and Sober's not long before those either, right? Oh, let's find out. Okay, here we go. Um, the release order is Beetlejuice and Clean Sober, then the Dream Team in 89, then Batman in 89, then Pacific Heights in 90, and then One Good Cop in 91. So his only movie that comes out in 90 is Pacific Heights. I mean, I feel like he has right up to Batman Returns, and it's not like he starts doing absolute dog shit movies after that, but more and more, Michael Keaton's oeuvre becomes... These strange bit parts, things like the paper, Jackie Brown. Well, why are you calling it a bit part? He was the lead in the paper. Well, I mean, the, the paper's like an ensemble cast, though. But he is the guy who was pushed as the lead of the paper. In the, in sure, but it's still a massive ensemble yeah. cast. But like Jackie Brown, out of sight. I guess he's kind of like out front in desperate measures. He's the horrifying but- lead in Jack Frost. <laughs> he is he is the horrifying lead in the non-horror film Jack Frost. But yeah, it's like he starts doing this weird kind of blend of things. By the way, by virtue of this film, uh weird weird bit of trivia as we uh, get started here. Do you know that as a, uh, by virtue of this film, uh he has acted with three generations of Melanie Griffith's family? No. Yeah, so by by this because of this film in which Tippy Hedren makes a, a cameo, he's acting with Tippy Hedren, her daughter Melanie Griffith, and Melanie Griffith's daughter, Dakota Johnson, in uh, the Need for Speed film a few years ago. That's amazing. Michael Keaton just working his way through generations. So, can we watch him uh, have sex with this lady and then be a a, a bad uh, a bad tenant? David, yeah, do we know who this lady is? Uh, it's really not important. He just uh, really what we got to set up here by virtue of uh, Michael Keaton about and getting taken hostage while having sex with this lady is that uh, he's a ne'er do well. He's up to he's up to something bad, nefarious, and we just well, don't know actually, what. Actually, I do know a way that we can find out who this lady is, though. Well. <laughs> Lest we IMDb all day. Oh, not IMDb. I'm thinking a different one. 
Um, apparently that's Beverly D'Angelo. I wish. <laughs> we no, all wish. It is. That's what it tells me. Here, look. It... <laughs> what? All right, let's see. Uh... It's, I mean, in fairness, it, it does it does say that on Mr. Skin. It does say that. It's obviously categorically untrue. Uh, I mean, I guess it kind of almost looks like her in like the screenshot they have. It's obviously not. That is her. I'm looking at the one we have playing now. That we're about to play. That is her. I can tell. Now that I know that it's her. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I have DV list Beverly D'Angelo in this. She really get her tits out in that many things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. All right. Beverly D'Angelo. You're really cheating on Clark Griswold with this man? This unsavory individual? Oh, 19. Yeah, oh, Ann Miller. Uncredited. Yeah, she's she's uncredited as uh, Ann Miller. All right. I'm convinced. By the way, uh, David Bixenspan, still your celebrity pornographer hero. No, that's the other person I do a podcast the ki- the with. King, the king of MrSkin.com, David Bixen's fan. No, that's definitely the other person I do a podcast. No, not not you. The other person I do a podcast with. No, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's you. I'm pretty sure that one just happened. You nailed it. No, I'm not the one who has a SuperiorPix.com account. That's, a, that's someone else who I do a podcast with whose name rhymes with the Zis Kralner. Sounds like a man who'd be good at the sports Twitter. I like the cut of his jib. Okay. Yeah, it's Beverly D'Angelo. You can tell by the mouth. That's not the only body part you can tell by. Well, yeah, the the tits are part of it too. He's rubbing a nice cube on her back, and that after she sucked on it. That's not creepy or anything. And whatever works. I like how creepy the generic Michael Keaton face is. See eyebrows, man. Jesus. No! No! Leave him alone! How did I not realize this family game? It's obviously her. The voice is so distinct. They're sending him into like that, you know, the weird like frosted glass wall thing you'll see at like doctor's offices and stuff, (laughs) which does seem really painful and disorienting, really. So Michael Keaton's got the shit beat out of him. It's not really clear why. Beverly D'Angelo's really sad. She hopes Clark Griswold doesn't find out. Of course, part's over now. Michael Keaton's got that like, real theatric 1970s Italian horror no movie way. blood coming out of his mouth. It is very bright red. It is very it's, it's like it's like, it's like It's like a Dario Argento movie. It's like red-orange leaking out of his mouth. It's like super bright. Hey, the Golden Gate Bridge. I wonder where Speaking of orange, place. Landmark exposition. This movie is suddenly reminding me of the room. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. 
actually, the more I watch this, I'm like, in case, in case you're, in case you're in moron and didn't get the Golden Gate Bridge, here's a, here's a streetcar going by. Yes, to, to, to be clear, uh, what's his face put the same visual cues in the movie to indicate that it's San Francisco as uh, Tommy Wiseau did in the room. The room, yeah. <laughs> Way to go, John Schlesinger. Like even the shots are composed the same. <laughs> Well, there's no like ridiculous football scene in this, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, you call you actually call it football? Because <laughs> they're not actually playing football. They're just throwing around a football. I was gonna say they play they play a strange version of catch. Oh, it's such a classic Victorian. It was built around 1886, probably remodeled slightly in the 40s. I know what you're thinking. Needs a lot of TLC and it's a little pricier than what we were talking about originally. But remember, you've got two rental units downstairs to help you cover the mortgage. And I really think, relatively speaking, we can get this place for a song up here. What do you think? 750 grand, huh? It's not a song, it's an opera. Between my savings and Drake's, we can cover the down payment. And the realtor said that we could get one of those home equity loans for improvements. No, don't do it. But we'll have rental units. Well, what if you can't rent them? Oh, come on. The, the vacancy rate in this area is less than 2%. Look, do you want my advice or my approval? approval. Your advice. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> it's too risky a call. I like how they work real estate advice, like crackpot Hollywood real estate advice, just like in the script. I don't even think you can get approval for the loan at your income. By the way, I'm noticing that Matthew Modine literally acts exactly the same in every single movie. Dude, it's... <laughs> It's incredible. By the way, his uh, probably his biggest payday as an actor, also due to Michael Keaton. Did you know Michael Keaton was wanted for Cutthroat Island and turned it down because he thought it sucked? And uh, Matthew Modine took it instead. So in other words, Michael Keaton is smart? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. There's that, there's that part, too. I mean, Cutthroat Island's terrible. But it probably paid Matthew Modine a ton of money. It's not like Vision Quest, which is the other like best thing he's known for, would have like really like broke the bank. How much did Matthew Modine make for Cutthroat? There's that there's that TV movie there's that TV movie of Flowers from Algernon that he was in. <laughs> what about in the band played on? Oh, that's that that's fair. Are you asking Siri? Does she got answers for us? Uh, let's see. No, ladies and gentlemen, let's our girl Siri. Modine, 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 Modine. Does it say how much he made? Doesn't look like it. You know who well, I guess on Wikipedia is billed third after him and Gina Davis? <laughs> really? Who? Frank Langella. That's weird. Well, I mean, it says a lot about Cutthroat Island. Then Maury Chaikin, Patrick... Malified. Also, think of the chemistry we missed out on with Michael Keaton and Gina Davis after Beetlejuice. I guess so. No. You guess so, dude. I watch Beetlejuice. I want, I want Beetlejuice to fuck Gina Davis every time. Moving on. Okay. Everybody does it. It's exciting. <laughs> Legal description of building. It's a building. Uh, well, I don't think that's what they mean. It's, it's Speaking of people who act the same in every single movie. 
Yeah, this is other than Michael Keaton. This is not a movie uh, with a lot of diverse. Uh, Laurie Metcalf and uh, Asian all-purpose stand-in of the 1970s Mako is also uh, in this film as well. Wait, who's Mako? Um, he's in. Uh, oh man, uh, uh, Legends of the Fall. He's in that. Uh, I think he's in Crouching Tiger. He's in it's everything. Mako Iwamatsu? Yeah. Oh, okay, him. Yeah, he's in like, uh, I think he's in like Seven Years in Tibet. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So he is the rich man's sea ma. Well, in the 1970s, he was one of those dudes that like, he was just like... It, he just like appeared as like the all-purpose Asian dude, like, like he'd be like right. in like, Wait, like I'm saying how like in the late '90s into the 2000s, yeah, Mako yeah, was like, the all-purpose Asian dude on TV, yeah, like in the 1970s, Mako would be like, he would be like in like Hawaii Five O, Columbo, uh, Kung Fu, uh, Ironside, Mannix, whatever other ones I missed. Hey, did someone say Ironside? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, DJ David Bixon Span. Can I can I hear that funky Keaton cut? It's like you know. it's a it's a wooden building with windows. You're a wooden building with windows, <laughs> Melanie right, Griffin. We'll come back to that one. Um, my previous employment. Equestrian. Pompous. Self-employed. In case you missed that, her job is that her job is that she rides ponies. In case you missed, uh, okay. So one thing that I should say about this really quickly is a key for me. A key component of this film is looking at it years on. Obviously, understanding the direction that the Bay Area was going in, real estate in the United States, and several like housing bubbles to come. But looking at it now, considering gentrification, thinking about the way they talk about it, there's a couple scenes to come when they have Japanese tenants move in. Matthew Modine casually says some of the most insanely racist shit, and like you're you're supposed to sympathize with him and Melanie Griffith as these tenants or excuse me, as these landlords who end up having the tenant from hell who runs them insane. But ultimately what this story about is terrible people having their wickedness exposed by another terrible malevolent force, because there's nothing about Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith that's remotely likable. And ultimately all Michael Keaton's character is able to do is expose them for the kind of upper middle-class fucking ghouls that they are. Also, they live in San Francisco and they hate Japanese people. <laughs> I believe the line is there's a bunch of Asians helping this couple move in. And Matthew Modine goes, I hope not all of them are moving in. That That's <laughs> not necessarily about race, though. Uh, <laughs> I guess. All right. Lest we digress. Continue. Are we skipping ahead or are we continuing to go with their awful questionnaire well, i mean i guess uh, we could we could skip forward to them making meeting uh carter hayes aka uh james aldridge or whatever the hell his name is like later in the film michael keaton oh wait they have sex while they're painting their apartment because this movie is already a cliche L- yeah like you do like you do 
skipping ahead. Oh, wait, where am I? Oh, wait, are the Japanese people moving in now? Uh, Here we go. Yeah, oh, no, wait, let, they're, no, they're looking at the apartment. They're yeah, let's, 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 see them get, let's see them get an interview. The original tile's been redone. The original bathtub. We want to repaint. Yeah, we'd uh, pay for all the materials. This is so chalky. Oh, no, this is the gay couple who's moving in first, who's being interviewed. Oh, boy. Department. Let's see what they think of them. Now. What color did you have in mind? Black. Black. Dog. Hair is the gas stove, the dishwasher, the microwave, the disposal. I'm sure Drake showed you all this. And your credit and reference is not checked out. We'll paint over that. No, we'll paint over You don't have children, do you? No. This is a very nice place. We just wanted to look at it again. To be sure. Wait, so the husband speaks fluent English and the wife speaks zero English? Yeah, who knows what the hell is going on here? Just got separated from my wife. I'm hell in the kitchen. I've been thinking about taking a cooking class or something. Excuse me. We will take the apartment. Oh, great. Okay. We would like to start moving in by tomorrow. Pardon me. A thousand a month? Yeah. Oh, hey, it's Carl Lumley. It is. It is, in fact, Carl Lumley, and uh, he's about to be the re- victim of uh, some institutional racism here in the uh, the renting game. I'm also noticing that so everyone that could potentially be renting from them so far is a minority for them to be bigoted towards. Yeah, and obviously that's another thing. the the whole The whole linchpin that allows Michael Keaton to ruin their lives is that basically they take him more seriously because he's white, attractive, and offers them a bunch of cash up front. What's your favorite Carl Lumley role, by the way? Oh, he's in like a lot of stuff. Um, trying to think of everything I've seen him in because he's in like a ton of TV. Um, we've got Alias. We've got his long arc on LA Law. LA Law is the thing that like I would go to because that's the thing I'm like most familiar with. But like, has he like had like any like kind of like interesting movie roles that have kind of like slipped through the cracks? He plays a, a Jamaican doctor in that Eliza Dushku Alphabet Killer movie. <laughs> See, I haven't seen enough Alias. That's my problem. Well, here. he's like the moral center of the show on Alias. Yeah. See, I haven't seen enough of that. I've seen his. Uh, I, I've seen him like appear, obviously, in, in like tons of different television and stuff. But like, I would say L.A. Law. That's like that's that's the long Carl Lovely arc that I'm familiar with. Well, that's what got him noticed, and it's yeah, well, it's a hell of a it's a hell of a arc. Shall we continue being racist yeah. with Melanie we Griffith do before an she Law episode? I think they're all on YouTube. And uh, also, uh, not not at all awkward having a uh, handicap stereotype on there either. I was going to say, I can't wait for you to make me say awful things about Benny. <laughs> I won't make you say anything terrible about Benny. You know why? Because right. Larry Drake is closely associated with Tales from the Crypt, and no Tales from the Crypt veteran goes besmirched. Shout out to Miguel Ferrer and all three of his appearances, challenged only by Bill Sadler. And a $1,500 security deposit. I can handle that. Uh, Wait, where do you come up with that security deposit? Uh, One and a half times rent? That's a bargain. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Whitenapi. I didn't get those. I don't know, Mr. Whitenapi. 
Oh, so she knows to say Domo, but not call her Watanabe-san? Gashimas! That to be racist, Carl Lumber. Uh, any chance that I can pay you half now, half at the end of the month? I'm in this 90 day CD. We'll have to check your credit. No sweat. My credit's solid. Actually, I've been looking to buy a place, but I haven't found anything I like for the price, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I said my credit is solid. Well, you still have to fill out an application, and Drake will want to check it out. Understand something. I want this apartment. My credit is good. I don't want to lose Obviously, it because... Obviously, you're at the top of the list, Mr. Baker. You're the first person who's seen the place. <laughs> Are we supposed to think at this point that Carl Lumley thinks she's racist? Are we, like, I was usually like, what are we supposed to think at this point in time? Like, why can't he just get an Equifax report? Does he not realize it's normal to get a credit check? <laughs> like, like that's like that's the thing that makes it bullshit. They like they find like these like convenient kind of loops where it's like, yeah, you could feasibly turn someone down if you were a landlord and they didn't like immediately provide credit references. But if you're like shopping around in a market like San Francisco, even in the late eighties, early nineties, I imagine someone's expecting a credit check. Carl Lumbly is so just. Uh... He makes you want to trust him. I mean, his mustache is great. Though. That is quite the mustache. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Miss Palmer? Yeah. I'm sorry. I just get the runaround so much, you know. That's okay. No sweat. I'll get this back to you as soon as I can. Hey. Oh, he didn't think she was racist. He was poisoned by institutional racism oh got it are we skipping ahead now to them meeting michael keaton or whatever i don't know i'm i'm enjoying the back of matthew modine here he's in a state of undress picks oh wait here's michael keaton let's see let's get to the right spot What's the ghost with the most got to say? Hey, I stopped by a couple of weeks ago and spoke with uh, your wife about renting the studio apartment. My, my girlfriend. Oh, your girlfriend. <laughs> oh, sorry, we don't want to rush anything. Do I? <laughs> I assume it's still available? Yes, it is. Um, is Patty here? I don't want to keep you if you've got... No, it's no problem. You know, I'm, I'm taking care Can of I point out something quickly, Bix? No. No, I'd like to take a look at it if I'm mine. Sure. You're seeing a fictional man, played by Matthew Modine, named Drake Goodman, talk to a fictional man, played by Michael Keaton, named Carter Hayes. In case you're ever wondering why people make fun of white people endlessly, specifically upper middle class white people endlessly, for naming their kids like absolute twits, no, it's not a recent trend. Again, this is a film that began filming in early 1989, and we have Drake Goodman talking to Carter Hayes. Drake Goodman, Carter Hayes sounds like the name of a law firm. No shit. It's no Matthew Modine couldn't that. hack it though. He was a great. He was a great high school wrestler though. Oh, good. Yeah, we can go this way. Listen, is it alright if I leave my car here? Yeah. Thanks. It's already asking so much. Of him. Oh, it has an alarm. He's got money. 
Oh, it's got a remote to close the windows. He's got a lot of money. It's taking just about every cent we've got. Yeah, I bet. I love these old Victorians. My grandmother, my father's mother, I guess it was, grew up in a mansion in Pacific Heights. Yeah, whereabouts? That'll drop. Broadway and, I don't know. I don't know, they tore it down. I'd never actually been there, but I'd seen the photographs, you know, I'd heard all the stories. Boy, can you imagine what that piece of real estate would be worth today, huh? Well, you know, we all got to start somewhere. Yeah. Is this your first place? Yes, it is. You and your uh, girlfriend went in on it together? Yeah, you know, partners. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Well, it's the first time we've lived together. It's, it's working, though. Not to mention the rent we're saving. When can I move in, Drake? Oh, well, you know, I just have to have you fill out an you know, application. I'd like and... to, uh, if you don't mind, pay you the first six months in advance. This is this is my move, by the way. Can I also say that uh, even though even though I have good credit and living in a major city, like again, you have to have like decent credit references if you're going to rent. But this is this is also my maneuver as a dude that's always late in the game. Anytime I look at places, I I always pull the panic maneuver, and I'm just like, I will give you 18 months rent in cash right now if you tell me I can stop looking at apartments. And it almost always works. This is this is a tried and true method, David Bixenspan. So are you saying you're jealous of me that I didn't actually have to look for an apartment? No, I mean, I mean, in this particular instance, even though I looked at a ton of places, I totally lucked into an awesome place. So uh, I feel of, of of any time in my uh, my renting lifetime, I probably feel uh, less upset about that kind of thing than ever. I'm just saying that uh, Michael Keaton, this is this is the this is the direct maneuver. If you're ever trying to put one over on someone, like you think you may have a credit issue, maybe you don't have a credit issue, maybe you're just like lazy and don't like want to go sign up with Equifax or whatever the hell. Just just pull like the big like wait you have four to, to six months of to sign up with Equifax. Well, you have to like pay like the eighteen whatever dollars, so it's accessible for ninety days or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's it. I am kind of jealous of your apartment since you, from what you've said to me. Well, I mean, it's just there's just like a there's just copious amounts of space. Well, you said yeah, you said your bedroom is like the size of a studio apartment. Well, I mean, there's multiple bedrooms that are size of a studio apartment. But when I say that, again, it's like a studio apartment. Like, I'm talking like Toronto, New York stuff. So it's like, I yes, can still be. But you're also stuff. paying less than me while also getting a considerably bigger apartment. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking into getting a, a full couch in my bedroom. So. Yeah. I, I don't think I have any space where I could put that. Wanna, I wanna get, I wanna get a full bar in my bedroom. Because I've been inspired. I've been watching a lot of Bar Rescue recently. Bix, we may get, we, we may, we may have to get John Taffer on the show sometime. <laughs> if only I knew someone that worked for Spike TV. Yeah, if only we knew someone who worked for Spike TV. We can grease the wheels on this tip. We need to get Taffer, man. Um, I've, I lost, there was two good days last week. I could have done productive grown-up things. I lost all the productivity in the world because I couldn't stop watching Taffron by rescue. How many points did he go? Like you're a danger at people's health. Oh my god! Just every I, I get so hyped for every time. I like I know he's gonna say shut it down or shut shut this bar the fuck down every time he does. Like oh, he said it. 
I can't even resist. He's and the 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 scene, the stakeout, the first night when he watches the footage in the car. Mm-hmm. I can't. His reactions to everything. He's made for television. John Taffer's the single best television personality out there. Now, who is your favorite of the of the various award winning alleged bartenders? Uh, the <laughs> I was gonna say the one really attractive one. Uh, that would be Mia, I believe. That is that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for knowing what taste David Bixon's fan. That's the one. The black dude, the black dude's a cutie pie too. He's cool. Like you've seen him do some follow-up episodes. That would be Phil Wills, I believe. That is correct. I mean, see, like you're you're praising your you're deeper on bar rescue than me. I clearly gotta catch up before we do like a legitimate bar rescue. I, mean, I don't remember all their names. I don't remember the name of the other female bartender. I, well, I mean <laughs> whatever we got the attractive one it's all also good. i like that i almost said bartender that shows that i do watch bar rescue too much <laughs> shut it down the reason for the six months is i travel a lot in my business and i'm in and out of the country so i can't always guarantee is that i'll be here first of the month damn i've only got about twenty nine hundred dollars on me how about if i pay you two thousand now and then of course i could pay the rest next week or i could wire you the entire amount which would be seventy seventy five hundred seventy five hundred for my bank in san antonio um you know i i'm sorry but i still have to get this application filled out it's just a formality yeah it's a credit history that sort of thing yeah um is, is there a problem well no it's just that i work for a private trust and the trust pays me my expenses and my salary. They pay my bank cards, my room and board, etc. I love so how really yuppie eighties it is too. Oh, hey, I got I work for a private trust. Hey, I got I got all this in cash on me. I'll I'll get you from my bank in San Antonio, but uh like, oh wow. Is it now wait, is the idea supposed to be oh wow San Antonio or wow, he is a bank from out of town? Yeah, like what, like or just like wow, he's from the future. He has money in a place that's not a five kilometer radius away. I have no, like, but this is, but this is like like staple in these kind of films. Anytime in the late eighties, early nineties, there is some kind of like yuppie business bullshittery skullduggery happening this is the kind of dialogue you get it's like oh whoa like my trust it's like like (laughs) it's like this like melding of the 1950s 60s kind of like ec comics confidence flim flam medium scam man and what what people imagined bullshit stockbroker finance dudes were like in the 80s it's like this weird hodgepodge of the two and if you want to hear more on what people thought rich people were like in the 80s, listen two episodes ago. <laughs> Let's see more about Michael Keaton's eyebrows. They are lovely. Understand? Um, could I verify the trust? Well, see, I'm bound by client confidentiality. I mean, they're a prominent family and they've got interests worldwide. Boy, believe me, what if I could? Let me think. I'm always running into this problem, you know? Do you have a phone? Yeah, upstairs. You know, better yet, I'll tell you what. Why don't I give you some local personal references? Or you can call the trust private attorney, uh, Bennett Fidlow. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, a previous landlord. I got Bennett Fidlow is very obviously a made-up name. Yeah, I mean, those... <laughs> you, can, you can just tell, like, the kind of people who go together to make a law firm. 
Those aren't two of them. No, I thought the guy's name was Bennett Fidlow. Oh, I was thinking like Bennett Fidlow. No, he said the attorney. He didn't say the law firm. Bennett Fidlow. Well, that's almost so ridiculous of a name I'd buy it for some corny old white guy who wears a bow tie. But see, like, I don't, like if I'm trying to make up a fake name, I do always like come up with something near Ludlow or whatever. The one thing I'll say about Bennett Fidlow, I feel like you. <laughs> I feel like Bennett Fidlow, were he a real person, I feel like he would have an initial, whether a first initial or a middle initial. Bennett J. Fidlow? Yeah, something of that nature. L. Bennett Fidlow. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, I hope you don't mind calling out of town. Hey, I, uh, I hope you got a good plane with Sprint. Uh, well, got to no, go all the way like to San Antonio. To be, well, when long distance calls are an actual thing and you'd be on I know. and like the money's running out and, and like someone else in the room grabs your attention. You're like, damn it, I'm on a long distance call. Michael Keaton remembers. I don't think you'll have a problem. No, no, Mr. Hayes listed Mr. Fidlow as a personal reference on a rental application. I'm sorry, what was that name again? Carter Hayes. Hayes. Mr. Fidlow only handled... Ma'am, oh, ma'am, yes, were Mr. you wondering what Matthew Modine did for a living? It's a personal reference. Yes. What is this? So, his wife, uh, his wife his may girlfriend. be... His girlfriend. Excuse me, his wife-to-be, his fiance, his girlfriend, Melanie Griffith, she may be an equestrian instructor. He is the overseer at a luxury kite factory. Again, in case it's not clear, Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith are very, very, very white. She teaches equestrian. He is the overseer. At the luxury kite factory. Am I the only one who, when they hear equestrian, they think of the Lewis Black bit? <laughs> well, I think of equestrian, I think of actual equestrian. It's a legit, it's a legitimate sport, Bix. Come on now, what's your problem? Do you know, do you know the Lewis Black bit I'm talking about? Absolutely. Would you like to explain it to everyone? So, <laughs> so I don't uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, we actually have a podcast. We could probably put it in. Oh, about two equestrians? Sure. But we do need to get through this movie quickly. Well, he'll have to give you that information himself. I see. Well, when Mr. Fidlow gets the time, could you please have him call me? I will. Goodbye. Something I've always nitpicked about TV and movies. that? You don't get a dial tone when someone hangs up on you. No kid. Well, I mean, above and beyond the fact that, like, no one says hello and goodbye... That's that that tends to be a problem. But, that, but that's human behavior. Oh, if you say so. No, you get no. I'm saying it's it's dealing with an issue of human behavior, which st- which is oh, stylized okay. in TV and movies, as opposed to something which is. I get why they do it for narrative purposes, but it's just like I've always felt like. But that's not how that works. No, no, he, he was a model tenant, uh, always paid his rent on time, left the unit spotless the thing. In fact, Yo, what time stamp we at? I think I gave him his whole security on the movie? deposit back. Yeah. Like on the first time video. 51, 2, 3. What'd you say? 1851, 2, 3, 4, whatever. 
Okay. Uh, on the movie, fast forward to like 30. Eh, I'd say like 33-ish. Okay. And of course, Beverly D'Angelo was the reference. Yes. I don't care if he comes through with the money now or not. I just want him out. No harm, no foul. He leaves right away. He doesn't know what's in it. Wait, what happened? Michael Keaton's just a bad guy. He's blasting power tools. He's changed the locks. He's being a highly reprehensible individual who's up to some suspect behavior down there in his little his, his little unit in this polychrome apartment in San Francisco. Interesting. Does he live above them or below them? Below them. Okay. What do you think? Goodbye. Good riddance. Now what? I love how he's ups- as upset over this as he was and in the band played on about trying to cure AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> you accuse me of slowing this podcast down. You would think there would be a difference between the two performances. Yes, who is it? San Francisco Police Department. They were doing construction at 2 fucking 30 in the morning. They won't answer the door. I can't use my key to get in because they changed all the fucking locks. <laughs> I don't appreciate foul language, sir. <laughs> May I say something? My friend is a sculptor, and he was working a little late last night. I'm very sorry if you kept anyone up. Bullshit! You back off! Look, he hasn't even paid his rent. Ask him! Apparently, there has been a mix-up in the wire transfer of my money to San Francisco. I'm sorry. They've moved in there. They've changed all the locks, so I can't see what he and his little buddy are destroying. He hasn't paid the rent or even a security fucking deposit! Wait, he didn't pay the cash? Ah, there was a tie-up with, you know, the trust that I... I... Who knows how he conned these idiots? Basically, what you need to know about this is white people are gullible. Make it easy. Look, I can handle this, Patty. Fine. Listen, listen, listen. I understand why Mr. Goodman is upset. His bank lost my money. I was out of town. The man's caught in the middle. I don't even want to file a complaint. But I don't understand why he wouldn't want to give me the opportunity to straighten things out unless he's found someone he'd rather rent to. such bullshit. Look, let's take a walk. Come on. I just want the guy to pay his rent. Come on. Cool it down. What? What? What you did is against the law. Wait, what did he do? So uh, he ends up he ends up uh, breaking into Michael Keaton's place, basically. And in future, he will incur future police wrath from the fact that he ends up cutting off uh, his water and power as well in an attempt to force him out. So he decides to combat the bad tenant by breaking the law. Yes. And again, this is what makes this movie so incredible to me is like to me, it's piece a lot of the time it came out and I know 8990 economically is not the best things we'd ever get in the recent past or even the, the recent uh, future beyond that. But you have to put yourself in a mindset where just this young couple – as they say in the script, they look at this house, this polychrome Victorian San Francisco house that they buy for like three quarters of a million dollars. They look at it as like an investment property. You have to look at it as kind of a picture of its time where someone thought these people could be the righteous protagonists. Melanie Griffith ain't bad in this. You're supposed to kind of think Matthew Modine's losing it. 
But ultimately, it's hard to sympathize with just two rich ass white people who are able to buy like, oh, we're a young would be married couple. We're going to buy a house worth three quarters of a million dollars and rent the units out to some various people. They're not even married yet in the dunes. I know. It's bullshit. Now, where would they stand as far as landlords you've had? Well, I mean, I'm not a full blown sociopath. Uh, Michael Keaton, as we're about to see, he's about to like flood the place. Alone one now. (laughs) Michael Keaton's about to flood the place with cockroaches. I've never wanted to do that to any landlord I've ever had, other than uh, the last two of them. Shouts Tom and Bick. So, in terms of landlords, honestly, they seem uh, they seem like they'd be sweeties. I thought Melanie Griffith was a big babe growing up before she cut her face all up. Which and man, Antonio Banderas face cutting, yes, yeah. And uh, Matthew Modine, hey man, where's Link Vision Quest? Listen, Patty, I'm truly sorry it's come to this. The bank assures me that the money's been sent. I don't think Drake. Understands. I'd like you to not talk to me. Listen to me. Listen. I just want the guy the hell out of my house. Well, then you better listen to me, or he's going to be so far up your butt you're going to be picking him out your nose. Now I want you to turn back. So it was okay to say that, but not fuck her shit. <laughs> Back on all the heat and all the power to this man's apartment. You apologize, and you do not, and I emphasize, do not harass him again. Then go out and get yourself a lawyer. Because according to California Civil Code, Mr. Hayes can sue you for this stunt you just pulled. And most likely he'll win. <laughs> he doesn't even have a right to be in the apartment. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? If he's in, he's got rights. That's how it works. He's Batman. Something else, friend. If he decides to fight an eviction, you're already knee-deep in shit. Get a lawyer. How does he take someone into, that's not moving in with a roommate or any, an existing roommate or anything with no security deposit and no upfront rent? Hey, man. He's a first-time landlord. They just bought this place. They're yuppies. That's the whole thing. Like, and, and that, dude, that's the thing that's crazy about it is they're these completely unprepared, dipshit, privileged yuppies, and you're supposed to feel bad for them like, oh, Michael Keaton's trying to fuck his wife and ruin his rental property. But it's impossible to feel bad for them because Matthew Modine is a wimpy dipshit and uh, – his wife's just caught up in the mix in this like yuppie fantasy of like, oh, we'll buy this place and rent it out. It's there. <laughs> it's so crazy to think that there was ever a time where people would look at this and think like, I'll sympathize with this couple. Well, I don't. He's taken possession. So whether he signed a lease or whether he paid you money or not, he's legally your tenant now. And he's protected by laws that say you have to go to court and prove that he deserves to be evicted. However, Little Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne, who's obsessed with frogs. To protect any pointy-headed cretin who moves into your property and slowly drives you bankrupt and insane. So what do we do? I can take on the case. What are our chances of winning? No guarantees. Uh, my base fee for an uncontested case is $250. We charge $90 an hour thereafter and a minimum of $360 for any court appearances. How long will it take? Uncontested, six to eight weeks. If he contests? Six to eight months, worst case. And then you have to go after him in court again to collect. Wouldn't it just be a lot easier to throw him out? Easy and wrong. This is the process, folks. There aren't any shortcuts. 
I need a description of Hayes for Mr. Revilla, my process server, and I need the key to your front door. Oh, he's gonna murder him, isn't he? Writing again. Oh no. Here's where the fantasy starts. This is this is how I want to torture my accident lords. San Francisco Roach generally German or Oriental in derivation. With your crowds, Oriental derivation Now I have a question. Did he break into the other apartment? Or did he somehow do this through the pipes? He seems to be like in this film, Michael Michael Keaton appears to be kind of like a very clever con, con, contractor, carpenter, handyman DIY kind of dude. So I feel like he probably just found the best place in the pipes of the ventilation system to let some cockroaches loose and uh, let them flood into the Japanese couple's apartment. Okay, are we going any further here? Or are we skipping ahead now? Well, I mean, it depends on how much more more you want to hang out with the Orkin man. I. Don't. Ultimately, the Japanese couple are about to move out. Michael Aww. Keaton has forced the other tenants out of the building. And he goes into the ventilation system? Uh, Matthew Mundine does. He starts to lose his mind, man. He wants to chase down this man. Around the same time, um, they become... Uh, Michael Keaton begins mocking them with a dollhouse that shows up at various intervals. The dollhouse obviously used to uh, mock their dream of, of having a secure, beautiful home together. Their dream home, of course. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's see some courtroom fodder with uh, Roseanne's favorite sister, Jackie. By the way, seeing her in this, you realize just how much she was typecast after Roseanne. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, there really wasn't a lot of different roles for Laurie Metcalf after Roseanne. Yeah, I mean, she plays Debbie Salt in Scream to You basically the same way she does Jack. Absolutely. It's the noise and the bugs and and my wife. She can't sleep. Me? I'm so sorry. It's no good. You signed a lease for one year, Mr. Watanabe. I will try to pay you back. Moving expense, new apartment expense, lots of expense. You can take me to court, sue me, but... So sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, I guess there's nothing else to say. Why is she complaining? I would think you could legitimately get out of a lease over this. Seriously. Good fortune. And now we're going to court, I guess. We're going to court. In answer to your suit against him, Mr. Hayes is submitted to the court. Affidavits A and B, confirming plaintiff's attempted unlawful eviction of a Mr. Hayes on the 15th of last May. Your, your Honor, my client's and I... Ms. McDonald, I assume you have received these documents? Yes, I have just received them, Your Honor. I think there's been a mix-up. I think the law is quite clear on this point, don't you? Mr. Hayes is entitled to a reduction of rent due to uninhabitability caused by Mr. Goodman's misguided attempt to force him from the premises by disconnecting his utilities. Court rules for the defendant, Carter Hayes. 
I'll let the record show that according to the lease, Mr. Uh, Hayes' legal cost will be paid by the plaintiff. Your Honor, I would like to ask for a 10-minute postponement. Ms. McDonald, I see where you have other cases before this court today. I hope you're better prepared for them. I assume you want to cooperate with the bench now in keeping things moving? That's it. Was Ann's like sister going to get her ass kicked? I didn't think it mattered. You set us back months. He's lying. This guy has been playing you like a piano concerto. Me? What about you? I got a guy living in my building hasn't paid me one cent. Not only can't you get him out, but now I owe him money. Maybe you'd like to retain another attorney. Stephanie. Please don't quit. Drake's been under a lot of pressure. The bank is threatening to foreclose on us. This isn't a moral question, Patricia. Morally, you're right. You win. Big deal. This is a game, and the object of the game is to get Mr. Hayes out of your building before he destroys your lives. He knows you're going to get him out eventually. He's just trying to stay there as long as he can. Why? I don't know. Because it's possible. Because he's evil. What difference does it make? It's nothing personal. God forbid he ever makes it personal. Yes, God forbid he ever makes it personal. That won't happen at all. I guess we skip ahead a few minutes now, okay? Well, as we see here, Matthew Modine is, oh, he's yelling. His garage has been filled with uh, junk. I guess old car parts, old motorcycle parts. Mm-hmm. That Carter Hayes, he's a real dick. So, what we're skipping ahead to something traumatic now, you said. Yes, sir. Am I skipping past it, or do you want me to skip to the aftermath? No, I think we're. I think we're good about here. Set the scene up. Um. We're we're gonna get a miscarriage, and uh, I'm seeing it already happened because she was in the hospital and stuff. We're gonna get a miscarriage, and uh, Matthew Modine's gonna further lose his grip on reality here. So wait, what am I look? Is this is are we going? Oh, so she hasn't. It hasn't happened yet when they're at the hospital. I mean, it happens when they're at the hospital, basically. Oh, okay. And this is the aftermath now we're talking about. Pull that trigger where it makes you feel good, David Bixon's fan. That's not what I meant. Wait, did she know she was pregnant? Yes, she knew she was pregnant. And now the stress of the situation with Carter Hayes has driven her to miscarriage. Miss Carrie. I don't know what I expect anymore. Maybe that's part of the problem. I'm sorry I talked you into buying this place. You didn't talk me into anything. Why are you taking this to such a dark place? Me or them? Both. That's fair. Should I talk about the time that my landlord almost blew up the house? Always. Yes. I told you the story off air, right? Yes. (laughs) How should I set the stage? Well... One time, my landlord, and then you go oh, from no, there. No, no. Okay, so uh, my own landlords, they were, I guess the term is still officially Persian Jew, even though there's no more Persia. They're they're from Iran. And 
it's a bunch of different brothers and maybe a cousin. Two of them have the same first name, so I was never really clear on that. And there was one of them who was especially dumb. Um, one day our oven stopped working, and he comes in, looks in the oven, and decides, I guess, the, to check if there's a pilot light or if it's lit yet and to, I guess, get some matches to light the pilot light, even though there was no pilot light in this oven and doing attempting to do so would have blown up the house. Anything to do with the oven, it's the worst thing that ever. There's very few things you could ask of a landlord, even like black mold to the point where black mold is jeopardizing your food. You can probably live around it. Oven situations? Perilous. Yeah, I mean, I will say, as far as the landlords, to their credit, they did do, like, an amazingly quick job of getting the apartment ready after Hurricane Sandy. But, yeah, they, they, they were some characters. They also had a habit of after a certain point, I guess they felt it took too much money away from them. They stopped using realtors. Now, also, these are not people who just own some houses that they rent. They mm -hmm. own apartment buildings and stuff, so it's <laughs> weird that they're cheaping out on anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> so then, because there's no realtor, they're becoming less discriminating. And they would just take whoever paid the most money including if they were overpaying which at one point included upstairs neighbors who uh i don't remember what happened initially but the kids were playing like in a way where they were just constantly running and stomping around and it was incredibly loud and no one could sleep or anything and after we complained she started telling the kids one time we like i remember going outside the house and the windows were open so i could hear loud and clear and instructing the kids to jump up and down on the floor <laughs> and i'll never forget her screaming jump on their fucking heads well, that's dope she's like a kids in the hall fan almost crushing their little heads all that jazz well. i'd appreciate that yes and eventually they left but it's he didn't, he was, the landlords weren't going to force him out because they were greatly overpaying for the apartment. Near the Does this end remind of, you of anything, by the way? <laughs> near the end of my tenure with uh, my last landlords, my landlords who I very much wish to kill, the reason we're watching Pacific Heights. Now, are, do you have any issues with Tom specifically? Uh, you know what? I do have one hyper-specific issue with Tom because most of the time... He was the more taciturn of the two. Um, one, he – well, actually, two issues. One, he never had the balls to outright be like, we don't like you. We want you to get out. You haven't signed a lease. Just like he was he was unable to do that, which I find – yeah, I mean, he retreated basically as a man's disgraceful behavior. Two, he would try to say it was illegal for me to smoke cigarettes on the back balcony, which it's like – how is that illegal? I'm outside. I'm not throwing them into the parking lot or anything like that. Like, what are you talking about? 
It's ridiculous. But it was nowhere near like his wife, who was just an omnipresent ghoul who would just pop out of a box or a doorway or a window and suck your life force dry. She's literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me. True story, before we get back into a little Pacific Heights here, my girl Allie was telling me near the the end of my tenure in the apartment that last summer she was cooking a a, a frozen pizza in the old oven. And set yeah, the, I was wondering how long it would take for you to tell the story. And she set the smoke alarm off, smoke detector off, and Bick like broke in and like burst into the apartment. Like again, your landlord, even if they live below you, supposed to give you twenty four hours notice before they show up and roll up in your crib. Bick rolled up, burst into the apartment uh, by force, and tried to accuse my girl Allie of intentionally burning down the apartment. She's just like, oh, like the white girl set the fire alarm off or smoke alarm off. Must be her trying to burn the apartment down that she's lived in for three years already. Now, at this point, you living there by the time that Allie told you the story. Um, It was like two weeks before I moved out. (laughs) Like, that's the thing that kills me is like, her and my friend Justin were just like, oh, yeah, dude, it's like a totally chill spot. It's like the location was great. You know, like the heart of Kensington Market, you could scarcely do better. But that's not really what was at stake. I'm someone who works from home, works weird hours. I was the opposite of them. There are people that, you know, work out of the house and are, 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 or excuse me, work outside of the house and do so all day, all night and are gone for long stretches of time. I was just there. I was like just... I was the easiest target for these people who resented anyone who lived in the unit above them. Like I almost, I almost wanted to have like a Vulcan mind meld session when I moved out. The dude who moved into the bedroom that I was staying in, I almost just wanted to like grab and go forehead to forehead and let him know what awaited him. But whatever, it's just pain and suffering now. Now, is the reason that Allie did not immediately run for her life was that it was the only run-in she had? Uh, well, I mean, like I said, they, like, hate her and make her life incredibly miserable. It's just she spends incrementally less and less time there, which, again, is a luxury I didn't have. You know, if I had a different – it may have been totally different for me if I had a different lifestyle where I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the apartment. But as someone who works from home and does radio and podcasting from home, I didn't really have that option. So I just had to deal with them um, anytime I go down the stairs screaming at me or – shout out to the time I went to like a Toronto Raptors game with my cousin for his birthday and came home and had maybe had a few beers and Bic showed up is like 1 a.m. She acted like I woke her up, even though she's the one that walked to the front door just to intercept me and ruin my life. And then she told me I smelled like a drunk. You have like, not had good interactions with her after leaving the Air Canada Center. Dude, <laughs> no, no kidding. Uh, seriously, most of my tenure there was just like this, again, like this 65-year-old Chinese lady just calling me a fat, drunk idiot. Are there any MMA reporters who actually do work out of an office besides Dwayne Finley? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, 
I mean, Luke Thomas has the SBN Nation. I was going like, to say Luke does. Ariel, yeah. Like, I mean, there's people well, like Ariel. Does Ariel work at the office when he's not doing a podcast? No, I guess that's true. So it's basically Luke and Dwayne Finley. Yeah, kind of. I'm sure you could probably find some other folks. I don't think anyone at Bleacher Report is. Is this is this premium hit and scoops content? Well, we can talk about scooping. I don't know. <laughs> oh God, what is this Albert Einstein robot? <laughs> what? Hold on. Look at this. Monster All Monster. right, let me. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even click through to the article. I just sent. Oh, is it a robot or is it a puppet? It says robot. This is an article on Daily Dot. Oh, Albert Einstein can now be purchased in robot form. I don't, I don't like it, Bix. He's sticking out his tongue. Hanson like Robotics. Oh, it's a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, yeah. I was, gonna, I was literally going to say it's a Kickstarter campaign. I don't give a shit anymore. Now, if they make a Jerry Orbach robot. Different story altogether. Who could that be? <laughs> I did but I heard the ambulance last night and called the hospital. I told me what happened. Fuck that hospital. Really not holding up their end of the bargain on uh, protecting patients' records. I know it wasn't as strict pre-HIPAA, but they're still, they still weren't supposed to do that. Michael Keaton's still a complete grifter and a piece of shit here. They still shouldn't have given him random medical records, correct? And even if he wasn't a grifter. God. Nature can be so cruel sometimes. Patty, I wanted to offer my condolences, and if there's anything at all I can do to help I like that it's realistic in that Matthew Modine got the drop on him and <laughs> in the sense that well it's uh, realistic well, first of all right off the bat no, no but my point is Michael Keaton has no hope of making a comeback every time they like have a catastrophic fall or whatever Matthew Modine always gets the upper hand immediately because he's already knocked Michael Keaton senseless with punches and then repeatedly smashing his head against the wooden floor well, also, again, going back to Vision Quest, he's a state champion wrestler. So, <laughs> cringe. I know you're out there. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that on his side. But yeah, also, he, he whoops his ass, throws him into a wall in the apartment, punches him, tackles him down the stairs, double legs him through a play glass window. They sprawl down the concrete steps. Then he knees him in the ribs, kicks him in the balls, and punches him in the face again. They it, okay. 
normally something like this, you'd think it would be this like this stereotypical like weak cuckolded man who couldn't protect his wife. Matthew Modine straight up beats Michael Keaton's ass on several occasions in this film. This being one of them. Oh, he he's barely conscious too. You look at Matthew Modine like apologizes, like I'm sorry. He like, beat this dude like an inch from his wife. <laughs> of course. I don't think that's how this works. They don't just immediately handcuff someone. Yeah, they ask no questions. Well, I guess, like, the, the, the idea is supposed to be that they rolled up on him before. They know they have, like, this, his, he has this prior existing issue with his penny. Oh, oh, and the thing is in this one like michael keaton literally did not provoke it no i know again going back to what i was talking about the craziest part that strikes me about this is this is not intended to be um a deep-rooted satire this is not intended to be some kind of wry black comedy that's a statement about a yuppie class of person that tries to become a landlord despite not even like kind of being married and being in their mid to late 20s it's not about that at all it may function kind of in that role now, but like when this was released, that was not the actual intent and idea. What strikes me most about this is the idea that fundamentally you're supposed to sympathize with Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith and feel like they're this do-gooder couple that are living out the American dream and really just kind of think you guys are naive and stupid and couldn't realize that this dude was a grifter and playing you. And that's really it. That blood looks delicious, by the way. I mean, again, so bright orange. <laughs> okay, where are we skipping ahead to? Uh, well, I mean, we got some Lori Metcalf. Are you really? Are you going to front some Lori Metcalf? Yes, because we still have uh, half the movie left. Oh, I, I I see how it is, Bix. I see how it is. Well, also think about what time we're recording. Well, I mean, like it matters to me. I'll say go to the sixty-four minute mark. Okay. Mild progress. Your mild progress. I got work to do too. I got work to do for you in a couple of days. I left that pregnant on purpose. Uh oh, what's happening? Oh wait, I still have the sound down. <laughs> That's my guy. Matthew Modine has walked in to is this their house? Oh yeah. Lights are out. You're a Michael. brave and stupid man. That's <gasps> my kid. What are you doing, Dre? You can't come in here. Oh, he walked into Michael Keaton's apartment? Or at the yes. stairs to his apartment? Yes. Listen. Michael Keaton's recovered well from Heart. his massive concussion. It's no big deal. <laughs> I just want to go upstairs and see Patty, okay? You're breaking laws, right? Oh, he has a restraining order. Exactly. Uh, so he's not allowed into his own house. 
And hence, Michael Keaton's about to pull a 38 snub on him. Wait a minute. That's a man who got shot. Oh, and he just puts, he puts a crowbar in his hand. Back to the hospital we go. Matthew Modine's just getting owned from every angle in this movie. <laughs> really screwed things up. I don't know what I've been trying to prove. Wait, wait, wait. Why is his arm in a cast? Because he got shot in it, I but guess. That's not how that works. I know. <laughs> he got shot in it, Biggs. It broke, it broke his arm when he got shot, shot in it. That bullet must have been a regular Frank Mir. I, <laughs> I mean... Again, it just it goes to show the limitations of certain kind of directing. It's not like John Schlesinger is a bad director. Obviously, like Midnight Cowboy and uh, what's your hooky? What's his other big movie? John Schlesinger's The John Schlesinger Story. No, <laughs> don't be an idiot. Uh, Marathon Man, Marathon Man. Okay. It's not like this guy can't direct a good movie. But it's like those weird – it's weird instances like that that like slip through the cracks where you're just like, uh, that's not how getting shot works. Uh, that's, not how, uh, that's not how getting raped works. Well, maybe the bullet was wearing a tie steel cup. <laughs> the, the Joe Rogan experience, more, more straight ahead. What else Matthew Modine got for us with his one arm? Okay. What was I trying to prove? She doesn't have to prove anything. Go to sleep. She's like aggressively rubbing Matthew Modine's face. I love you too. We have no case because Hayes was technically within his right to protect himself. I mean, Goodman threatens Hayes, who, fearing for his life, justifiably, based upon the previous assault complaint, defends himself. You're the DA, Henry. Make a case. There's a history of mutual animosity here. There's a history of Goodman assaulting Hayes. I can make a case, but I can't win it. What's the point? They're a nice couple. Right? Wait, they're using their housing rights lawyer as their criminal defense lawyer? Yep. Because this is Hollywood, Bix, and that's definitely how that works, especially when you're the kind of, like, yuppie couple who, again, they aren't married yet. He, like, she teaches people, she teaches kids how to sit on a friggin' horse and jump over some obstacles. He oversees a factory where people make luxury kites. K-I-T-E-S. Kites. Thank you, by the way, for spelling that out. Just in case people thought I'd misspoke or thought I'd said something like, oh, did he say kites? Like the kind you fly in it? Yeah. Matthew Modine oversees a factory that makes luxury kites. They pay three quarters of a million dollars for this house that they're going to rent out in various units. Also, and three quarters of a million dollars in over 25 years. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. This is 89. Calculator thing. I'm surprised. I'm surprised I didn't do that earlier. Uh. Um, and in light of that, they're still going to use Roseanne's sister as like, yeah, their housing attorney and their criminal attorney. So I believe we have more time with Beverly D'Angelo now that you point out her existence in this. Okay, so wait, should I, should I put 89 or 90? 
Uh, let's go 90. Well, it's made it comes in 89, though. It was made in... Okay, it's fair. Okay, so they're going by, by a 1989 validation. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, what would you guess that that is in... The one I'm looking at is 2016 money. They won't oh, have 2017 man. money available for another few weeks. Oh, I don't even know how to. Okay, um, I'm trying to like use every bit of like world knowledge. I'm gonna guess. You know what? I'll keep it simple. I'll say one and a half million. One point five point six percent rate of inflation for one. Point four five million. Holy shit! Really? Like double, double. Yeah, and that's not Holy. even taking the real estate market into account. And who knows? God oh knows how much that would cost. my god! Are you joking me, Bix? So yes, in terms of so, in terms of watching this movie now, these are millionaires. <laughs> Good well, thing they, they hired. Accept, they're they're buying a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars house, so I would think. Good, we're close anyway. good thing they hired. Good thing they hired Roseanne's sister as their uh, their double attorney, working both uh, the landlord tenant process as well as their criminal proceedings. It's like on Melrose Place. How suddenly, like Kimberly was just able to become a psychiatrist because she was already a doctor. Okay, can I can I quickly point out my favorite transition like this in the history of like all I want to say like the arts because. Uh, I know that people painted one time, but okay, Bix, how familiar with you? How familiar? Let me tell you what you feel. How yes, you I'm Tito Ortiz. Rain. I'm Tito Ortiz. Go to hell. Okay, how familiar with the Ghostbusters franchise are you? Um, I. It's not like I've watched them over and over. I saw them a very long time ago, but vague okay, thing. fine. That may be good enough. In the original movie, Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana Barrett. She like she like plays like violin or cello or something with the New York Symphony. Mm-hmm. And uh then in the second movie, she's like restoring paintings. Okay. Like how do you make that lateral shift? She may have just been like a genius artist. <laughs> She's like Dana Barrett's the ultimate Renaissance woman before she got sucked into a hole and became like Vince Clortho, the gatekeeper, or whatever the hell. Sure. All right. Good enough. Oh shit, model house. He's far and away the most intelligent man I've ever met. Your husband ain't shit. Oh, it's okay to want him. It's a free country. I could tell, you know, when I saw you up in Frisco, I could tell you had a thing for him. Are you his type? What are you? Wait, so why is she going to Beverly D'Angelo? How did she she even track down Beverly D'Angelo? Like, how did they they put Beverly D'Angelo's real contact information on on the reference form? who, Who knows? I mean, one thing they try to get across in this last little bit, though, the one thing they try to hammer home is that Melanie Griffiths, this is a very like, um, this is like a, a secret girl power movie because Matthew Modine, even though he isn't an out and out uh, impotent cuck, he beats Michael Keaton's ass on multiple occasions. 
He's basically like a dumbass, completely overrun with emotion. So he's every Matthew Modine character. Yes, uh, except he doesn't win the state wrestling championship. And Melanie Griffith is the one. Or Discovery. That, yes. <laughs> or uh, or get used in an experiment where uh, he becomes smarter than a rat. He ends up basically giving way to Melanie Griffith in this as she she's the one who's going to expose Michael Keaton and get inside his head and uh, upstage him by being a more clever and ruthless con than uh, than he is and somehow that starts with like just tracking Beverly D'Angelo down out of nowhere I think you're sitting here waiting for him and meanwhile he's blown you off and it's pretty pathetic you don't even know him you don't even know his real name. It isn't Hayes, you know. It isn't Carter Hayes. Carter Hayes is the stupid old man who owned this condo. He tried to throw us out. He sent his tough guys after us. Why is she being honest with her? Why is any of this happening? She's married to Clark Griswold. She's a guilty conscience. Rough us up. <laughs> But now look who's here and look who's not. You're the pathetic one. And he didn't blow me off. Sent me a postcard just yesterday. Read it. He's not like anyone else. He does whatever he wants. We understand each other. That's what we have. Why does Beverly D'Angelo look younger here than she did in, in National Lampoon's Vacation? I don't know. She kind of has like a confusing face and body in that way. She kind of just like bends space and time. She looks great though. You? Just chasing a shadow. Now Melanie Griffith goes to the, the hotel that was on the postcard. Oh yeah! Marietta, now it's Century City. Yes. Now Melanie Griffith is going to put her big, big time grip together. Excuse me. Yes. Thank you. Do you have someone named Carter Hayes staying here? Hayes. I'll check. No, I'm sorry, we don't. How about Goodman, Drake Goodman? Goodman. Wait, where'd she get that name? Did the postcard say Drake Goodman? I saw it said D. It's Matt. Dude's her husband's or would oh, her be husband's, husband's name. Well, I, yeah. It's not like I've actually been watching those parts. I explained earlier that it's hilarious that his name's Cutter Hayes and his name's Drake Goodman. Follow along, Bix. I forgot. White people's names. It's not like we're doing this at a ungainly hour or anything. His his name do, was Maximilian Logan Hunter McDonald. Okay, so she knows that an asshole con man would be enough of a dick to just use her husband's name in the hotel. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Melanie Griffith, you're about to find out. She's like in the Matrix. She's now, Is he trying to steal his identity, or is he just being a dick? He's just being a dick. He's just he's just a full-blown lunatic well, like that. Um, he left this in the store where I work. Do you think you could give it to him? Certainly. Would you care to leave your name no. or a number? Thank you. Front desk, Victor. Oh, I had no idea that he'd be working. I, I somehow figured out what other name he'd be using, but he just happened to leave this in a store where I work. Well, I mean, it's still a convenient Hollywood story in 1990. He just believes that she doesn't know him. 
even though she immediately figured out what alias he'd be using. Hello? No one really ever says no one ever really says that Michael Keaton in this is a good criminal, so to speak. He just happens to really hate his landlords. <laughs> He's good at the beginning of the con. Yeah. Everything kind of falls apart in the end. So you're saying he learned how to con by watching Hillary's America? <laughs> exactly. Yes, special delivery. Room 81. Special delivery. It's not yet arrived. Oh, she's not here. Special delivery. It's not here. Not arrived? Hi. Sure? Hi. Hi, hi. Bye. 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 Later on. Yes. Later. 10.31. 10.31. Mr. Goodman? That's right. Uh, no messages. Oh, a young woman returned your wallet, sir. Pardon me? She said she found it in a store where she works. Oh, yeah, great, thanks. She knows it's you, Bruce Wayne. What was the point of that, though? She still could have waited for him to show up. But dude, this is what I'm going back to. She, dude, she's taunting him now in okay, the way that he say. taunted them. Really, just taunting. Okay. Yes, but dude, again, I, the, this is the one thing I need to stress as like as we go through this is you're supposed to sympathize with especially Melanie Griffith in this last in the denouement of this as she's the one that brings Michael Keaton down. I'm supposed to sympathize with her as this baptism by a fire. This psychological, emotionally trying – I mean, dude, she she miscarried as a result of this dude's lunacy as their tenant. You're supposed to buy into the idea that she's become hardened as an individual and found this way to strike back in retaliatory fashion and give this guy a taste of his own medicine. But ultimately, that taste of his own medicine can only be sociopathy. It can only be a kind of existential or psychological torture. So there's <laughs> – you're ultimately asked to basically feel for and then cheer for a bunch of rich yuppies who in turn become violent against their tenant and try to find like extravagant ways to psychologically and emotionally punish him. Which I think is a stretch okay, in so, any year. So as I skip through this little, it seems like she, she's following him and she sees him doing his various different grifts. She becomes hip to the idea that he's in fact a trust fund baby and that his actual trust fund is running out. He is no kind of wheeler and dealer. He's just your average, really he's your average garden variety fail son. Interesting. So we actually did come for money though. He did come from money. He does have a real trust fund. But ultimately, it's it's running out, and he's been running a whole lot of grifts in between here and there just to, you know, make it make it last as long as it could. Okay, so somehow— It's a tale as old as time. So the hotel room, how is he paying for that? I don't know. I mean, I imagine he can still pay for a credit card and cover that much. But is he living there long term? Well, or is he living in the – no, he's still living in the apartment, right? Yeah, well, I mean until very, very recently. So he's been spending that much time at the hotel. Okay. He's only recently fled. So now – so I guess I'm skipping to her breaking into the hotel room? Yes. Or not breaking in, grifting her way in? 
That's a good way of putting it. God, her face looks so different here. For the better, but... Like, her face changed so much that the image you get in your head of Melanie, Melody Griff... Mel, why am I screwing her name up? The name image you get in your head of her is not of her actual face. I feel like in my head now I put together a composite image of this face and her cut-up face in my head. It's kind of like a 50-50 But I'm thinking 50, like 90s getting married to Antonio Banderas era. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a peak. But she already looks like a different person by now. That's true. So she's finding stuff. She's finding his various folders and dossiers. She also has some of the worst hair all time on any great movie star. Well, I'm being petty and whatnot. She finds photos of the house. She finds a copy of the deed, which I don't understand why that's a big deal. Oh, credit reports on her and on Drake uh, Goodman. Wait, so so is Matthew Mundine supposed to be Jewish? I mean, I buy well, Drake Goodman. He did steal his identity. Name. He has Drake Goodman credit cards. Oh. I thought you watched this movie. Okay, I watched it. I, I looked it up and found out it was a movie where a dude takes revenge on his landlords, and I scanned through it once, okay? I didn't watch it like, with the utmost attention. I have notes on it and shit. What do you are, some kind of fucking teacher, Bix? I thought you watched this. Did you not do your homework? You told me. You're the one guiding me through it, though. Uh, dude, I told you I told you shit about Tippy Hedren and Michael Keaton acting with three generations of the same family. I got facts, I got trivia, I got dates. How dare you? How dare So was you? this the actual end game with stealing Jewish Matthew Modine's uh, identity? Well, I mean it's not it's not like an out and out uh indecent proposal kind of thing. It's not like he just wants to bang Melanie Griffith. Although, apparently in an original no, rewrite... No, I mean stealing his identity in the criminal legal sense, not taking his place as Mel- Melanie Griffith. Well, apparently in, like, the original script, he, like, messed with them both more sexually. Apparently, Michael Keaton was supposed to be bisexual in the original script, and they, like, thought it was, like, bit, a bit too wild in. So, in this particular case, I think the idea is just, uh, yeah, grift around and then try to steal as much money as possible. If you can steal someone's actual identity, get money and access to their bank accounts, make uh, make the trust fund last longer, so be it. And like in all modern fiction, all bisexuals are evil. Yeah, I mean, in, invariably. And they all have crazy eyebrows. Like, yeah. Yeah, everything okay yes one other thing i'd like to point out that we haven't really got to see much you see it like a bit when she goes through the portfolio there's a picture they always show when they show uh michael keaton's background as james danforth his original name before he's carter hayes there's a picture they show yes there's a picture they show repeatedly to show him like as a child where uh, it's him as a kid with his family, but he's posed like with a chimpanzee. 
And it's like never really explained why he just has like this childhood picture where he's posed with a chimpanzee. Oh my god! <laughs> but like, there's just like this. You're looking at it right now, right? Like, no, you no, no, wait. no. I see him holding a guitar. Wait a second, which I thought was a chimpanzee momentarily. Now I don't know where the chimpanzee was. It pops up multiple times, but yeah, there's like an old picture they show, like in a dossier, and they show it at the beginning of the film. When he's with uh, when he's with Beverly D'Angelo the first time, yeah, it's just like a picture of like him and presumably someone who's supposed to be his brother with a chimpanzee. No big deal. Okay, she finds his gun. Now Michael Keaton's doing stuff again. So let's see what's happening. Yes, we did. You did? Why? Well, there are some things that I think you might be interested in knowing. Well, listen. Why don't I just write you a check to take care of things till we get this straightened out? I don't. That wouldn't be acceptable. I'm sorry. We called your bank as a backup, you know. Yeah. They said your account has been frozen. Yes, I'd like to report some stolen traveler's checks. Awesome, <laughs> no, no, my husband is certain that they've been stolen. Mm-hmm. All 30 of them. Well, I assume you got the necessary approval when I checked in. Well, yes, but when a customer charges over $100 to their room, we generally run a card again for approval, and that's when we discover the problem. Right, except I didn't charge anything in my room. It's probably a clerical error on their part, but we just have to look out for ourselves. You understand? I didn't charge anything in my room. Well, maybe it was your wife. My wife? Oh, shit. Melanie Griffith went in his room and had an extravagant meal and just started racking up some charges. You know how those women be, am I right, Bix? Yep. Thank you. Now she's fine. So he still has lots of money, he just spends it like an asshole. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's another reason. I mean, (laughs) that's maybe the greatest reason to hate him is like he's clearly fairly cash solvent despite like the overarching situation here. He just – I mean, there's no reason for – like he could be at a Motel 8. You know what I mean? Did she just take a mint? (laughs) I mean, you can't put a price on luxury. She broke in the room. She deserves that mint. Melanie earned that mint. What did she take from the cart? Oh, what did she put on? What did she do on the on the housekeeping cart? Oh, she's putting it this his cash there as a tip. Correct. That's how you know she's the protagonist. Because otherwise, you just think you should be yuppie landlord bitch. Oh, they. <gasps> But he was doing the angrily duck your head, and now <laughs> yeah, they come somehow, the... but he somehow realizes it was her, but he's not looking at her at all. He smells her because he's a sociopath. Oh, is that so what he knows? I assume that's how it works. They come out of the elevator together, and like Big said, Michael Keaton is angrily pissed off pulling off his glasses. So okay, he only realized get this close. He okay. He is turning his head away, starting to turn his way away from her, but his eyes are actually pointing towards her. Also, the perfume in the hair—that's—it's I mean, it, this is this is a smell. This is a smell-based association. I buy it all day. <laughs> Elevator's closing. Now he's not actually taking the elevator. He looked like. Oh no, he's not. It's just some guy. 
he decides not to chase after a magazine. He goes to his room because it's that's actually a nice touch. I agree. That he's more concerned about his money and stuff. Yeah, as well you would be. Like that's actually that's one of the few things about the script I actually got right. It's not like he doesn't know where to find her. Exactly. Oh, so you think it's his him smelling the perfume, and that's why it's not he doesn't immediately do anything? <laughs> I was only like kind of being facetious because he turns around and obviously knows it's her. Why is she wearing mom jeans? <laughs> I was I was gonna say the exact same thing. There's no need to pause. It's just you took you literally took the words out of my mouth before I could get them out. That's all. Like they are cut like mom jeans. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's just Melanie Griffith's just ahead of her time. Mr. Goodman, I, the hotel has very strict policy in this matter. We will, I assure you, we will take care of the steps immediately. Mr. Goodman, we will call the police! What is he trying to do? Get a cab? He's literally chasing after her car. <laughs> like, 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 it's a combination of both. It's like running through the streets while trying to catch her. Oh, she's in a cab. She's not in a car. Oh, now he goes to jail. We don't know why, though. They're lying. These people are completely pathological. They took a half year's rent from me and they said I never paid them. They evicted me. They slandered me. They totally destroyed my credit. They physically assaulted me. They threatened my life. And now this. These people are parasites. Florence, I am so sorry. I like how you have an old guy and an older woman. And by the way, by the way, who's that older? Like who's a, that older woman? Who's that older woman, Vix? I can't tell from. Oh, is that Angela Lansbury? It's fucking Tippy Hedren, motherfucker. That's Melanie Griffith's mom. Oh, okay. She survived the birds. Oh, okay. True story. True story. And something like we're gonna that, make I like it. That she's like we're supposed to tell this that these are the rich family lawyers. Well, I mean, she is from a rich family. No, but I'm saying mom. no, but I'm saying that it's like the. No, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. The wardrobe and the pearls and stuff. You were even touched by any of this. What, are those his parents or those his lawyers? His lawyers. When I first met you, I was enchanted and I... I was dazzled. I'm sorry. You know, it's not like I can't prove there... I spent a true story about Timmy Hedron. No. I want to, like, say... Shut up. I'm going to segue this into, like like, a full show someday. And uh, maybe show like James and Wen's uh, Birdemic and Birdemic 2 since they're especially feudal episodes in uh, modern filmmaking. But Tempe Hedron maintains an enormous significance in Vietnamese culture. Do you know that Tippy Hedron and a friend of hers are responsible for every like Vietnamese nail salon in North America? What? So literally, Tippi Hedren in the late '60s, post Hitchcockian fame, she got involved with the uh, the Vietnam anti-war effort. Mm-hmm. So a group 
of relocated former South Vietnam, Vietnam political, like it would have been like political, like wives and stuff like that. They got resettled. They didn't know how to speak English and whatever. And it's like Tippi Hedren and some of her friends, they volunteer with this outreach service to, I mean, essentially I assume when they signed up, they thought they were going to take these women and teach them how to like speak English and do like typing classes and become secretaries. And so they start doing these kind of like assimilation classes for these bougie wives of former high level political operatives in Vietnam who've been relocated due to the war. I guess one time out of nowhere, all these women start like they're amazed by Tippi Hedren's manicure. So Tippi Hedren brought in her manicurist from Beverly Hills and taught this group of like eight to ten Vietnamese women how to do nails. Wait, wait, and wait. L- Tippi Hedren was responsible for there being Vietnamese nail salons? Yes. Apparently, literally over 40% of nail salons in the United States are Vietnamese owned. And all – I swear to God. I fucking swear to God, Biggs. It's said that every Vietnamese nail salon in all of North America – is descended from these eight to ten women who are the initial group of Vietnamese women to learn how to do nails from Tippi Hedren's manicures from Beverly Hills. What about the overseers, though? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know how those kite factories go. What? It's going to take a little time. I'll have to take them to court, I guess. But for right now, it's my word against theirs, isn't it? Wait, so how did they finally suddenly get him arrested for everything? I mean, I assume because he's running through the street like a dickhead. I've been there. I've been running through the street like an asshole and got arrested before. Okay, so it happens. Skipping to the final showdown now. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew Modine's laying in bed very depressed trying to buy things off QVC. But uh, Melanie Griffiths is being a doer. She is trying to uh, fix the apartment that Michael Keaton has left in shambles. Unfortunately, old Carter Hayes, a.k.a. James Danforth, he's come back for a uh, final revenge because uh, he's obviously sexually obsessed with Melanie Griffith. So. Hello. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> the, you literally, the sound or something on it. You just, okay, just to point out, we watched we watched Sleepaway Camp, a film where people are getting like diced up and they're getting stuck in uh, bathroom cubicles and like stung to death on their uh, penis area by bees. I don't remember that part. And uh, all kinds of gruesome shit. Bix didn't say a word. Bix like thinks it's funny to recreate I've like also Angela's seen like Sleepaway Camp thirty times. <laughs> Bix just got spooked. Bix got spooked by Batman jumping out on Melanie Griffith here. It was more the scare chord, I think, than the actual Michael Keaton jumping out. The what? The like the the music cue, the sound cue. Oh, oh, you were you were scared by the soundtrack. I was scared. I was just. Buddy was scared. Buddy was fucking scared. All right, no debate then. Fantastic. Cross the line. You're in my room. You're in my private thing. You and your boyfriend. You insulted my intelligence. You got into my area. What are you doing? 
living now. What am I going to tell my family? Huh? Did you know that half of all homicide victims are killed with their own handguns? Did you know that? It's funny because he has a nail gun. And it doesn't belong to him. What am I going to do with you, Patty? Wait, what did he do to Matthew Modine? Well, he's he's been uh, he gets beat up uh, earlier on, and also uh, he gets shot. Remember? No, again. So what? He pulled stitches. What happens now? What do you mean? Why is he bleeding when he's trying to get and collapsing when he's trying to get into Michael Keaton's apartment? I don't know. Maybe he had a miscarriage too. Jordan Breen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're welcome. What are you making me do here? Don't you know I have responsibilities? Huh? I've got people. I've got my brother. I mean, I've got a lot of people who depend on me. He's using the construction lighting thing to make it scary. I mean, what was the point? Lights are spooky. Huh, Patty? Did it feel good? No. Is that it? When you're in my private things, spying on me, it felt good, didn't no. it? Yes, it did. No. You crossed the line and it felt good. No. You're a liar. No. You're lying. Pause this for a second. This dipshit, he's been, he's been so good at harassing them the entire time. And he goes to, like, make this big important moment. He's going to kill her with a nail gun. It doesn't fire? How do you how do you screw up firing a nail gun? It's like an air compressed nail gun. How does he not gun her in the head with a nail? I'm not saying he kills her cuz I've seen all kinds of weird things where people people get like a piece of rebar jammed in their head that goes back 3 feet and goes through both sides of their skull and somehow they end up living. Let's say it would have killed our girl Melanie Griffith. But how does how does Michael Keaton sit on her chest, go to shoot her with a nail gun, and it just pfft, like misfires? I don't like <laughs> I I don't even know if that's how nail guns work. Yeah, you're not exactly Norm Abram, are you? Whoever that is, yeah, I'm not. Norm. Are you are you joking? Unbelievable. I hope you don't own any flannel whatsoever and never plan to build a shelf, a treehouse, or a New England colonial era pie chest or anything that Norm would do. Just hit play, you savage. Is he like a Canadian Bob Vila? He is not even Canadian. He's from like Rhode Island or some shit. How, how dare you? To Bob Vila. He's Bob Vila sucks. That's what's up. Bob Vila sucks compared to Norm Abram. So you're more of a fan of Tim the Toolman Taylor? No, he's a snitch. Norm Abram, <laughs> if Norm Abram got caught in the airport with all that coke, Norm Abram would have done the time. They would have rolled up. You, Where's the coke? Where are the shakes? They would have rolled up on Norm Abram and been like, all right, granddad, with your stupid glasses, where's who's? And he would have been like, fuck you, pig. And they'd be like, oh, big talk for, I heard you got a show on PBS. 
even though chronologically this would have made sense because it would be like the mid-70s and New Yankee Workshop wasn't on PBS. Norm Abram would have kicked the fuck out of all those feds, though. Tim Allen was like, no, I need to do home or the home improvement in like 20 years from now with my kids with terrible haircuts. Norm Abram wouldn't have given a shit. Norm Abram, Norm Abram would have threw the birds to the feds. Norm Abram would have done the time. And he would have come out and still probably done a dope woodworking show on PBS where he tells you how to make sick colonial furniture. about to impale my computer on the R.I.P. Batman's dead. <laughs> he looks really annoyed that he's been impaled. Why is there rebar sticking out in the it's always rebar, man. Is there anything people are impaled on in movies more than rebar? Exposed pipes. Other than that, exposed pipes and rebar, it's like, it's the physics equalizing death. Because you can just, you just push someone, they just fall onto it. I, I don't think that could happen with pipes, though. Are you, have you not seen Taken 2? No, I mean in real life. Oh, well, that's fair. Rebar, I, I don't have as much personal experience with. Okay, so he's dead. I see they have a zero gravity chair for some reason. It was built in 1883. Somebody remodeled it in the 40s, but we tried to restore it back to Oh, now they're only renting to other yuppie white people, as if they didn't learn their lesson about who the good dentists were. Exactly. I actually had to buy these. Honey, this is Drake. This is Bill. I, I mean, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Amy, you're just like Betty now, uh, impress wear with all the work you've done. Is yeah. that D.W. Moffat is the husband? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, uh, Has D.W. Moffat ever been in anything where he didn't come off like an asshole? Oh, I was going to say, like, this is pretty much his oeuvre for sure. <laughs> this is exactly it's the kind of thing you It's a little more money than we thought of originally, but it's great. It's well, weird you know, seeing him look at long yucky here, though. To help make the mortgage. Yeah. yeah, well, we sure need it. Oh, honey, look at these floors. They're gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. We, uh, just, uh, just had them refinished. Refinished them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Why don't we leave you alone to talk and... We'll be right upstairs if you need. This took place now. They'd be Googling this place and be like, my God, we're going to die. Yeah. I mean, if this was, <laughs> if they were Googling this now, there would be like multiple stories from local newspapers about how this like trust fund grifter attacked this dude and made like this woman miscarry and shit like that. And be like, oh my God, are you the people who had the, who had the apartment where like the guy made you miscarry and they'd be like, yes, there's, there's 500, possibly a thousand dollars a month off. If you never mention it ever again. Just packing. It's nice meeting you. Yeah. Patty. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you what you're selling? Oh, they're selling. This place. You obviously put your heart in it. This is a big line. No, not really. It, it was just an investment. 
after earlier, Matthew Modine says it's an investment, and she says, but it's our home. I know you love it, but we're talking about $900,000. What an asshole. <laughs> they're also, they're about to make $150,000 profit on it, too, if they buy for $900,000. First thing I'm going to do is take these curtains off these windows. Can we talk about the purchase price before you redesign the entire place? You know, I just have so many ideas. For sale, buy on an empire with me. It'll be okay. It'll be okay, huh? Oh, so they're not going through a realtor either. No, of course not. They, they have not learned their lesson. What awful human beings. Shall we go out on uh, Roger Ebert's review of Pacific Heights from September 28, 1990? How many stars did he give it? He gave it two stars. Pacific Heights is a horror film for yuppies in which the bad guy uses the axe to your three flat, not you. It tells the story of a young couple who buy a Victorian home in San Francisco and are then attacked by the tenant from hell, a sinister man who moves in without authorization and never pays rent, uses Wait, a jigsaw. Without authorization? Well, he basically kind of talks his way into it, but then they never actually tactically give him keys. Never pays the rent, uses a jigsaw in the middle of the night. But they signed a lease, though. That's true. He does sign a lease. And breeds roaches, where he dispatches on journeys to other parts of the building. Oh, his strategy is. D.W. Moffat's character's wife, her name is Barbara Bush. Oh, I mean, that's not well timed at all. It was only only filmed in early 1989 and released in 1990. His strategy is to drive the couple into foreclosure and then pick up the property cheap. Although, Wait, exactly. That's a strategy? More to Ebert's point. Although, exactly what financial steps this would entail is never explained. Maybe he's not so sure himself. Basically, he's a psycho who's been disowned by his family and gets sick thrills by breaking up other people's happy households. And, as played by Michael Keaton with a certain effectiveness, he has that smarmy, ingratiating quality of the kind of guy whose smile makes your skin crawl. The couple is played by Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine, who fudge on their financial statement to buy the house and then need every month's check from the two rental flats in order to keep up the payments. That's why it's so desperately important to them to evict Keaton and get position of the flat. Besides, what's he doing in there? He moved in in some kind of slack-jawed roommate, and the two of them hammer and saw all night long under the nice Japanese-American couple in the rear flat who are forced to move out under tidal waves of cockroaches that are living there for another reason. As a story idea, Pacific Heights has a certain appeal. The movie's problem is in its execution. I never much liked the young couple or believed they liked one another. I didn't see enough of Keaton in the early stages of the movie because he was always behind a closed door. The rhythm of the movie is established early and repeated until it gets predictable. Keaton commits an outrage. Modine starts to froth the mouth. Griffith tries to restrain him. Modine goes too far. Keaton wins another victory. The pattern escalates throughout all the cliches of the usual horror film. I including several. how much Ebert and other reviews from this era used to spoil everything. Oh, absolutely. They don't give a shit. Dude, spoiler alert is not a thing before the internet. But, I mean, it's like. Is, are they just so divorced from whatever? The, is he like only watching movies for the performance at this point? 
But I mean, dude, it's a different ethos. Like, if you're just like putting it out in a syndicated column, you assume if someone's reading it, they're not going to read it. Review. But even then, like, if someone's reading this, you assume if they're the kind of person reading it, they've either like seen it immediately, or they're the kind of person who's not going to be affected by it. What are you talking about, though? People are reading movie reviews to find out if a movie is good, so then then see it. No, but like, uh, I don't like uh, again. Like, it's. This this movie review literally comes out when I'm three years old, but I feel like the sensitivity to like having like a movie like spoiled for you, it's just like a lot different now. But you still wouldn't do that. I I mean I I don't give a shit. That's the thing. Like I can't relate on that. Like I like most. I feel like most mo- major movie plot twists and stuff I had spoiled for me at some point either growing up or formatively as an adult. And it really hasn't impacted my enjoyment of various films. Like I, I knew spoiler alert. I knew that verbal Kent was Kaiser. So it never made me like the usual suspects any less. But did you find out in an advanced review before it came out? Whatever. Roger, Roger Ebert. He had a, uh, he had a nice array of uh, sweaters with the uh, Oxford shirt underneath. He's allowed to get away with it. In a way, Pacific Heights could stand comparison to Rosemary's Baby. Both films are about a young couple who are deeply concerned by events that seem to be happening in a flat in their building. The difference between the movies is instructive. Roman Polanski insinuates to us that the gradually growing horror of this couple in Rosemary's Baby, well, John Schlesinger, in Pacific Heights seems concerned only with generating the most obvious shock effects. There's not even the slightest attempt to present Keaton as a normal tenant who slowly turns sinister. He's a monster from his very first appearance, a Freddy Krueger of tenants. Maybe you can never really kill him, and we'll get Pacific Heights Part 2, 3, and 4, with Keaton moving into gentrified neighborhoods from coast to coast. Well, that actually sounds like a not bad idea, David Bixenspan. What do you think? I, I can't make words. Feel like uh, Pacific Heights, Atlantic Heights. We could do uh, we do a franchise. Pacific Heights too, even higher. We could we could get it on the DC market, the New York market, LA, San Francisco. We can basically we could do like a whole horror franchise where it's all about gentrification in various major urban U.S. environments. We got this. Bare minimum, we can get a deal with Netflix. If only someone we knew was in something that was about to be on Netflix. If only. If only. So, Bix... I mean, I know you don't want to die or get arrested or anything before you make your big Netflix debut, but you want to help me kill Max Landlords or what? No, definitely not. And I implore you not to do that either. Oh, that's a shame that you feel that way because uh, I feel very differently. You got to use cash. If You got to remove yourself from the proceedings, though. That's absolutely true. Maybe I can hire Michael Keaton or something. A down, a down and out Batman. I, I, I'm losing my cognitive functions, so we should probably stop.
In that case, that's the end. Subscribe on Patreon. Resubscribe if you had lost faith that we'd ever do another show. Although, as Bix pointed out earlier, all of you were good little Fonzies. They stayed very cool. Well, almost all. I did case. see one that dropped off, actually. <gasps> if you're that one person who lost faith, thought we'd never do another show, resubscribe on Patreon. More importantly, renters of the earth, into the heart of your landlord, you must strike fear or a sharp metal tool. I'll see you all in the news, and if not, back here in the scoops. Peace. Now you can tear a building down, but you can't erase a memory. These houses may look torn down, but they have. See?